Welcome back to Second and Short. It is April 14th, 2023. The Rays are still undefeated. Looks like they're going to keep it that way. The Commanders, looks like they're going to be sold to Josh Harris. UCL had some great matches this week. We've actually got a race for the title in the Prem and plenty of other things going on. Luke, how you doing? I'm great, man. How are you? Doing pretty good. I'm loving, loving everything going on in sports right now. I'm very entertained. Me too. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to talk about. Um, you know, MLB is starting to, you know, kind of pick up. You know, we're we're all kind of figuring out who the good teams are, who the bad teams are. Kind of ten games in, eleven games in. It's uh, life is good, man. Unless yeah. you're a Chelsea fan, which I am. It's true. Yeah, today uh, we're gonna have a little bit of MLB recap. We'll talk about what's going on this weekend in the MLB. I'm gonna be debuting my weekly team of the week. For the MLB, uh, we'll hit you with the NFL news, our top 10 safeties from this past season to finally round out that series that we've been doing since, I think, a week after the Super Bowl. We've been grinding with that one. We're going to hit um, the UCL, uh, the results from this week, and our second leg predictions to set up the semifinals. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more Premier League, only a what, eight weeks left in the season, somewhere around there? And then uh, we'll round it out with Do You Remember. Luke, let's go ahead and get into this MLB recap. Let's do it. All right, I got to start it off with the Orioles because they're killing it with the dugout antics. It's one of my favorite things to see in baseball. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They debuted the Homer Hose the other day, a.k.a. the Dong Bong, but Kyle Gibson stressed that that is not what it's called. It's called the Homer Hose. Um, and they hit the sprinkler celebration. So uh, fantastic. Some guy hit a double, um, did like the little like sprinkler thing where like hand behind the head, do the sprinkler. And then the guys in the dugout are like sitting at the fence and they all like are spitting water out of their mouths. Like the Orioles are on some other shit with these celebrations right now. I saw that too. And, uh, it, you know, that's, we, you and I kind of both predicted it. That's a team that, you know, we hoped would, of course, they're in my division, but, you know, last season they were really entertaining towards the end of the year. Um, and that seems to have kind of carried over. Um, and you can tell that they're, they're a team on the rise. Uh, I think they're sitting at like five and five right now. Not too bad for, you know, Orioles standards in like previous seasons. So it's, it's good to see them having some fun. Yeah. I love this team. They've got a bunch of players that are just playing super well this year. Um, I think for them to be successful, they're probably going to need to make some pitching moves. But in general, I'm very happy with what I'm seeing from them. Yeah, me too. And I'm going to follow it up with a game I think that happened, let me see. Yeah, Monday, April 10th. I want to get your opinion on this, Grayson. The Phillies and Marlins game. Please get 20 hits, score 15 runs, and beat the Marlins 3-9. to nine. And it was uh, Alcantara that started that game. That's unbelievable. Yeah, that – wow. Lighten up Sandy yeah. Alcantara. It was on Monday, yep. He is now 1-1 one one with an ERA of 5.79. Oof. It's a rough start. What, he's got three starts now? Uh, I – yeah, believe so. That's – it's interesting because, like, we saw, like, I think, what, it was his first appearance. It was, I think it was his first appearance wasn't that good. And then the second appearance was fantastic. And then now comes out with another stinker. 
maybe he's reverted back to the mean. Exactly. And I, I'm going to go ahead and take it over again because I, I want to shit on my own team for a second because on Monday they really pissed me off. It's always got to be on a fucking Monday too. Yankees opened up a series with the Guardians, which uh, really good series, by the way. I think this one could be kind of like a playoff preview kind of game because the Guardians look really good and the Yankees look really good. You mean to tell me that you're going to give Yankees fans two runs off of Shane Bieber in the first fucking inning and then not score the rest of the game and lose three to two? Props to Shane Bieber. Props to Shane Bieber, though. He looked crazy good after that first inning. Uh, he he, he ended up going seven, though he only struck out four. He only threw 99 pitches. Like, that's fantastic recovery from Shane Bieber. Uh, he was able to rip through a, I mean, it, it, yeah, I hate to say it, but Yankees offense, once again, you know, looks pretty inconsistent because the next game, Yankees blew him out 11 to two. And then I think the third game was a four to three Yankee win. So the Yankees ended up getting the series, but. I, I don't know. The Yankees are, they, they worry me. They, they worry me. They're not like the Braves where you kind of, I feel like know what you're getting almost every single time. Um, but ha- Hey, how about the Braves? This red series has been, it's had a oh, lot of close games, God, a yeah. lot of close games. Tell me about it. It's been fucking stressful. It has, but anyway, I've talked a lot. I just, I just had to talk <laughs> about that Yankees game. So you got anything else for MLB? Yeah, I've got plenty. Uh, Shohei Otani. First of all, an ump, an ump tried to bust him for foreign substances under his armpit. The ump, like, walked up, talked to him, and he was like, show me it. And that's just where he puts his pitch calm device. And so he kept putting his hand there, and the ump was like, that's suspicious. And he was just calling his pitches. That's hilarious. <laughs> but while I'm talking about Otani, this guy is just ridiculous. All right, here's his stats as a hitter. This was as of a couple of nights ago. He's batting 300, three home runs, eight RBIs. Opponents facing Shohei Otani as the pitcher, batting 100, zero home runs, one earned run. Wow. This guy's ridiculous. And uh, his last start was his 10th consecutive start, allowing two or fewer runs, which is a new Angels record. Uh, was that the game against the Nationals that he shut him out in? I they had a shutout. so. Yeah, that was uh, the Angels beat the Nationals that game two to nothing, and the Nationals had one hit. Yeah, it's, he's, uh, he's a freak. He I love watching like hardcore baseball fans and even like baseball players talk about Shohei because like it really puts it into perspective that like he is just not normal. Like that is the kind of talent that we're talking about. He's not just a good baseball player. This is like unheard of. Yeah. It's unbelievable what he's been able to do and continue to do. Yeah, and as we're speaking, the Rays did just get the win over the Red Sox, making it 13 in a row and tying, I believe, the 1982 Braves and 1987 Brewers at 13 wins in a row, the best start to an MLB season. Um, I got a feeling they're going for 14 tomorrow. Is it against the Red Sox again? Uh, no, I believe they start a new series. Can't quite remember who they're playing. Oh, they're playing the Blue Jays. So that was actually a series Ooh. I do want to talk about because this is going to be a good one this weekend. Yeah. Um. I don't have have the Rays played or no? They just got done playing the Red Sox. Um. Yep. And never mind. I, I was gonna I was gonna ask if the Rays have even played a division team yet, but that would have been stupid. 
Well, lucky for the Rays, Drew Rasmussen's going to be on the mound for them, who in his two starts has two wins and a zero ERA. And they're facing Jose Barrios, who in his starts is 0-2 with an 11.17 ERA. Jose Barrios, probably one of the most volatile pitching like pitchers in the entire MLB because one day he could come out, he'll pitch like eight innings and get like 15 strikeouts. And another day he'll come out and he'll pitch – Point one innings and give up nine runs. <laughs> the slurve is so much fun in the show, Grayson. It is. He he's fantastic <laughs> in the show. And if that's what if that's what you play baseball for, props to you. If you're Drew, <laughs> Drew Rasmussen, who nobody uses in MLB the Show, props to you as well for just being a good baseball player. Yeah, um, that that's going to be an awesome series, though. Yeah, and speaking of the race, this was uh, this stats from Tuesday night, but. Um, the Rays on Tuesday had hit 29 home runs this season, and they only allowed 20 runs total prior. So that's the largest differential between home runs hit and runs allowed by any team after any day in MLB history. Oh my gosh. Now, um, you know, as of yesterday, uh, it was 30 and 27. Um, don't know how many home runs they hit today. I know they hit at least one because I saw Brandon Lau's solo shot. Um, let me double check that. I'll update that stat for you. Luke, go ahead and uh, say anything else that you've got. Um, right now we have a game going on uh, top of the ninth. The Orioles are tied with the Athletics 7-7 seven to seven right now. That's looking like a pretty good game. Nice. Yeah, so the Rays actually they ended up hitting two more home runs today. Uh, so their differential is now 32 home runs. And they've only given up 30 runs. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good way to win baseball games, honestly. <laughs> um, and it it's the Rays out of all teams, too. Um, kind of, I guess, like kind of a question for you, Grayson. Like, is this Rays team the real deal? Like, will will we see them competing uh, heavily for you know a championship this year, or is this just kind of like a fluke? I, so, me and Colin talked about this on Wednesday, and I think we both agreed, like. This team, especially when it comes to the rotation and the bullpen, is a lot of guys that we haven't seen, and we haven't seen them be successful in the past. So can we trust the fact that they're off to a hot start? I don't know because there's no body of work behind them that says that they should be this good. But yeah, I, I feel like they could be great. And, you know, if they just keep winning, you know, who's to say they're not going to just keep going obviously you know nobody's going 162 and 0 but if they just keep winning 100 100 wins is feasible but you could always have a month where you only win like six games it happens yeah the Yankees uh I mean I've talked about on the podcast before I think last season in August they went like 10 and 28 I mean it, it definitely you know you can fumble it all in a month in baseball uh yeah you see there was something else that I the Mets to talk do it about. every year <laughs> Yeah, and the Braves seem to, like, you know, of course it's not really the case this season because the Braves have been, like, really lights out early on. But I feel like the past, like, maybe two or three seasons, Braves have just been kind of like a like a second um, second half of the season, like, warrior team where yeah. they're kind of, like, average, and then they just, like, really pick it up at the end there. Um, so maybe we'll see the opposite for the Rays, or, you know, maybe we won't. But they have a tough division. Yeah, they definitely do. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm uh, a Yankees fan, but. Let me talk about Pablo Lopez real quick. 
Pitching for the Twins, the guy has been ridiculous so far this season. Um, in his start versus the White Sox, he gave up three hits and a walk to start the game. And then he retired the next 23 batters. Gosh. It took him, in, in this whole appearance, he threw 93 pitches. And just that first inning was 30 of them. Wow. It's ridiculous. And uh, part of that success is coming from the curveball. Right now, when you're facing Pablo Lopez's curveball, they're hitting 71 batting average. 71. Wow. He's got a good whip this year, too. Yeah. And um, on just the curveball alone, a 60.6% whiff rate. Damn. It's ridiculous. And uh, I talked about it last week. The fastball is faster than he's ever thrown it. Obviously, the curveball is just otherworldly. Pablo Lopez putting together um, an early bid for AL Cy Young. What the fuck is up with all these guys like going to the Twins and just like absolutely blowing up Minneapolis? Because Joey Gallo's in in kind of the same boat as this guy here. This um, Pablo Lopez, he's had some decent seasons with the Marlins, but like nothing like this with yeah. the Twins. I was about to make a joke about blowing up Minneapolis, but. I'm just going to not. <laughs> it's happened before. All right. The White Sox are just sad to watch at, at this point. Um, this goes back. Cease. Well, yeah. Yeah. Other <laughs> than when you watch Dylan C's pitch, the White Sox just, it, it's hard to watch them because bottom of the 10th against the Twins, Michael A. Taylor lays down a perfect bunt. He was going to probably get out on this throw, but the whole point of this bunt was just to move Willie Castro to second. Whoever the White Sox pitcher was in this situation tries to throw Michael A. Taylor out at first. The ball hits Michael A. Taylor in the shoulder, flies past him, and Willie Castro scores, and the Twins win in the bottom of the 10th. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Like, they couldn't buy wins right now. (laughs) <laughs> that one that one actually kind of gave it the giggles that's that's horrible yeah wow um it, who else is horrible please Mark schmidt yes the new york yankees when carlos rondon comes back i i don't think i ever wanted to see clark schmidt in, in pinstripes ever again <laughs> I, he is awful this year absolutely awful I think he um did he spend most of last year in the AAA or something? I believe so. Was he? Yeah. So maybe send him back or trade him or something because it, it's just it's not been working out there. Um, I I want to say that I heard that Carlos Rondon's uh, injury has actually been um they've added more time to it. Yeah, apparently he's got some like. back tightness. I believe is what I saw. That's kind of holding him back right now. Um, Stretch it out. Yeah, we're we're probably still looking at him pitching within the next week or so. Um, it's what it appears to be because he's not – I don't believe he's actually on, like, the 15-day IL or anything, like, long-term. Um, I think he's just out right now. Okay. Um, I do want to talk about Matt Olson because he hit a home run on Tuesday, 118.6 miles per hour off the bat, and that set the Braves – record for the hardest hit ball in the StatCast era. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. And StatCast, like, 
only came out like eight years ago, right? Like 2015 when they started tracking so, that. So something? 2015 is like the, um, it's one of the years they consider, but I think when they say StatCast era, that I think goes to 2007. I could be wrong. It's either 2015 or 2007, uh, one of the two. I know that 2015 is when like the StatCast stuff became publicly available. Um, so props to Matt Olson. Yeah, y'all got really, really lucky. I mean, I, of course, I, I think all of all of Braves fans can agree that they might. I actually, I don't even know. I'll, I'll just ask you: Would you rather have Freddie Freeman right now? Uh, um. Oh man, that's hard. I'm gonna be honest. Probably yeah, but like Matt Olson's great. Um, what a replacement and Atlanta native. Yeah, too. that that like that makes Matt Olson so big in Atlanta like his jerseys are selling uh, tremendously in Atlanta I see him all the time um it's it, he's definitely become like because for a while it was it was like Acuna Freeman Swanson and like Riley for a couple of years and it's like now it's Acuna Albis Riley and Olsen those are the names that you see on the jerseys. And it's so nice to see. Like a guy who's literally only in his second year in Atlanta is already getting – he's like become the fan favorite. Yeah, and I mean even kind of like for his career, I feel like his career has just even exploded. You know, he's a um, – you know, he's in playoff games now. He, he's just playing meaningful baseball at a really, really high level. Um, and it's just so much fun to watch. Uh, how, about, how about Orlando Arcia though, Grayson? Is, yeah. Is he starting to turn into the real deal for the Atlanta Braves, or is it kind of like you know, kind of like the Rays, where it's just sort of like a surprise fluke possibility? I don't know if it's the real deal because, like, he's still not, you know, a top tier shortstop, even with the way he's playing. But I will say the clutch hits have been huge, and it's it's more than I could ask for from a relatively cheap replacement for Dansby Swanson. He has pretty much shown to this entire coaching staff that they made the right decision in optioning Von Grissom down to AAA. Yeah. Um, uh, the Braves, I, I envy the Braves. They they just seem to make all the right decisions. Dude, <laughs> AA is the best GM. Alex Anthopoulos is straight up the GOAT. Like, he just trades for the best players. He signs young players to the most franchise-friendly deals ever and just continues to make this team better year after year, and I don't get how. Yeah, and it, it seems like when you watch the Braves play and you watch them kind of, you know, like interact in the dugout and stuff, it, it truly is every single player seems to enjoy that team so much uh the, uh like seriously it's just so it's so cool to watch of course i'm not a braves fan but you know growing up in georgia around braves fans all the time you know you you get you get accustomed to it and for it, what feels like most of my life the, the braves have never been as good as they are now and boy <laughs> are they good and and like i said earlier i really want to drive this home is every braves player seems so happy to be on the diamond with one another. Like, they just have so much fun. 
Yeah, it, it is uh, extremely fun to watch. And like Ozzy hit a home run the other day, puts on the the super big hat and like does like a curtain call. Like <laughs> it, it's it's so much fun to see like how this team has changed because before Acuna and Albies and Swanson and Riley all came up, this team was like a retirement home. Like Juan Uribe played shorts or played third base for a season for the Braves. And it's like that should never happen. It, it was literally just Freddie Freeman getting super underrated and just ignored in Atlanta. That was all we had. And all of the sudden, it just seems like everything went our way. Like Andrelton Simmons was absolutely horrible at that point. Like Brandon Phillips was our second baseman. Matt Kemp played on the Braves. Like he led our team in RBIs one season. And <laughs> all of the sudden, this young talent starts coming up and it's just become a party at Truist Park. Yeah, dang. You just reminded me. I, I totally forgot that Matt Kemp was on the Braves. Yeah, he had a 100 RBI season with, with Atlanta. Braves. Yeah. Whoa. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, well, I, I, anyway, do, do we have anything uh, more on MLB? I, I got, I have I got a couple thing. more. I have a relatively long list of things that happened this week. So uh, you go ahead. Okay, you go for oh, Okay. You want me to go ahead? I'll go ahead. I'll okay. knock out a couple, and then you can go. G-Man okay. Choi and Ji-Hwan Bay are the first Korean-born teammates to homer in the same game in MLB history. That was done for the Pirates. Awesome. Fantastic stuff. Uh, the Chicago Cubs extended Ian Happ. Three years, $61 million. Uh, no options there, so it's just a deal. And that deal will start in 2024. So that's a great move. Ian Happ is totally uh, – it's weird. Ian Happ was like – he'd show up every now and then, and then he was like pretty bad. And then for some reason these last two years, he's just been stellar. Yeah. Um, the Good that the Cubs kind of locked him up there. Um, I like that deal. Yeah, I do want to talk about your manager over there, Aaron Boone, because I'm I'm feeling for him with this ejection here, because <laughs> oh yeah, that okay, was so cool. he gets tossed because the umpires ignored a rule. So I'll kind of explain the scenario and then talk about this. So Aaron Hicks appeared to have made a catch. The replays revealed it hit the ground. The umpires just sat there and talked, and after a few minutes, like it wasn't like. 30 seconds over there. It was a few minutes. The umpires come out and they're like, the Guardians are challenging the catch. So that breaks the rule that there's 15 seconds to challenge for the other team. So Aaron Boone promptly walks out there and he's like, what the fuck? Like, this isn't how this works. There's rules and you guys have to follow them. And like... And then the ump just tosses him. Obviously, I'm sure Aaron Boone got much more uh, verbal, much more angry than I explained it, but that's just how he is. I I truly believe that Aaron Boone is becoming the modern-day Bobby Cox when it comes to getting ejected. I, you know, I love whenever Aaron Boone gets mad. It, it fires me up, and I, I think it fires the team up too, which I know a lot of um, a lot of uh, managers will do that on purpose, right? They'll they'll kind of like get mad on purpose to yeah. fire up the team, like if they're cold. And I think Aaron Boone's great at that. But I will say that Girardi, I think, is more entertaining when he gets mad than Aaron Boone, in my opinion. 
Yeah, well, I think Aaron Boone just, like, Aaron Boone's really bad at, like, building up the argument. He just walks yeah. out there, states his piece, gets thrown out, and just walks off. Like, yeah, it's because he's so used to this process. There's some managers that are real good at walking out there, talking, building the argument up, and then just getting real fucking pissed and, like, really making it a show. Yeah, uh, Aaron Boone is is very entertaining, though. <laughs> Yeah, that that one was interesting. Um, I'll say this one, and then you can talk about yours. Uh, Salt Lake City, uh, like a group from Salt Lake City, including the former owner of the Utah Jazz, are planning to pursue an MLB expansion franchise in the coming years in Salt Lake City. Really? Yeah, I don't think that's going to go well. Yeah, we actually, uh, we we actually did this, didn't we? Didn't we like put baseball teams in cities yeah, that we'd we like did. to see? And I just <laughs> like I don't think there's a use in a Salt Lake City team if the A's go to Vegas. Okay, explain that. So I, I just I don't think that there's a big enough market in Utah in general to support an MLB franchise. Okay. And I think, yeah, obviously Las Vegas has the market. The The AAA team for the A's plays in Las Vegas. The I believe it's the Aviators. They have, they record more attendance than the athletics. Yeah. The um, Salt Lake city is kind of one of those weird markets where if, if you watch a jazz game, especially uh, you and I were just talking about uh, watching the last dance the Jazz in the 90s, you know, with Stockton and Malone, they were selling out stadiums. The The Jazz love uh, – or uh, Jazz fans love their basketball team. But really anything else, I yeah, a baseball team in Utah is just kind of I, – I don't, I don't really know how that's going to go. Yeah, I just I, – I don't see the appeal there. I think there's other places that need a franchise more than Salt Lake City. Yeah, no, uh, definitely. Um, if you put it that way, 100%, there are plenty of other cities. Like, I, I still like the one that you said. Nashville would be yep. really, really cool. Nashville would be uh, fantastic. Yeah, that's a great city for baseball, um, or would be a great city for baseball. Yeah, dude, um, imagine you got Vandy playing in the city and you have an MLB franchise. Yeah, no, I, I like that one. Um, I think one in Mexico. There's one in Canada. Yeah. One south of the border. Let's let's get some Tijuana action or something. Maybe put one in uh, Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. Yeah, or a team in the Dominican Republic. That'd be awesome. Uh, anyway, I, I wanted to highlight, and this is kind of my last thing, I guess, for our MLB recap, but Aaron Nola, still looking shit. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. It's bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, against the Marlins on uh, April 11th. I think that was Tuesday. Um, obviously lost the game. He went. Um, um, almost to six innings, didn't quite make it. Gave up nine hits and four runs. He did get six strikeouts, though, which is his career high, or not career high, his uh, season high through the three games that he's played. But um, Aaron Nola is the type of athlete. I, I think he could get it on track, but it has not been a good three games for him. Yeah, it's been brutal, and it doesn't help that Zach Wheeler's also pitching bad for the Phillies. Yeah, uh, just a lot of bad going on for the Phillies, and – to kind of add on to it, and this is something uh, I I totally forgot about until like a couple days ago. Bryce Harper is still injured and yep. probably won't be back until maybe July. Maybe I've heard his uh, 
his surgery went well and like his progress is like really, really fast. But, um, you know, the Phillies still have a while before their best player is back. Yeah. So actually what I've heard, um, is the Phillies are having Bryce Harper practice first base because of the absence wow. of Reese Hoskins. Uh, he's going to be out for the season. If Bryce, uh, they're saying that if he plays first for a little bit and he can get, you know, pretty solid practicing there and he feels good, they'll put him at first base to speed up his uh, return. I like it. Um, and is that just kind of like, um, and this is not to, you know, shit talk any first baseman out there, but, you know, you're not really moving a lot at first base. Is that kind of why? Like it's sort of like an yeah. easy physical defensive position to play, physically easy? Yes, it is. Uh, okay. Obviously, there's parts of playing first base where, like, there's a there's an obvious divide between, you know, Pete Alonso playing first base and Matt Olson or Freddie Freeman or Paul Goldschmidt playing first base. Like Rizzo, yeah, yeah, guys like that. Guys like that actually play the position very well defensively. Pete Alonso can't pick a ball to save his life. He probably picks his nose more than he picks a ball. <laughs> Get on. <laughs> it's like just that, like but... it's a matter of you still have to be a good fielder at first base to make an impact. It is not easy when a guy is throwing 95 across the diamond and it bounces twice off the grass and then off the dirt. Like, how do you read that? Dude, there's some there, guys there that can, been... and there's some guys yeah. that can't. There have been some plays, sorry to cut you off, but like I, I've always wondered how like the really good first baseman, one that we didn't mention was Goldie. He's yeah. fucking amazing. It's like when, you know, a third baseman, like you said, throws it 95 miles an hour across the diamond. And it like, I don't understand how some of those first basemen, it's almost automatic, even if it's in the dirt. Yeah. Because Dude, I'm telling you, ball, Freddie Freeman, like for, for years, Freddie Freeman and now Matt Olson. They made Dansby Swanson look very good. They made Austin Riley look very good. Like, <laughs> it's very obvious when you have a very good first baseman. Oh, oh for sure. Um, and, and it's like when the ball bounces, it's not like losing that much speed. It's still coming at you hot. And especially yeah. if it bounces close to you, you're kind of having to like, you know, jam your glove into your own body. And there have been some crazy um, plays that I've seen at first base. But back to Bryce Harper. Um, you think Grayson, if he plays really well at first base, it could add some longevity in his career down the road. If maybe they want to put him back at first base once he's older, like, you know, kind of down towards the end of his career. Yeah, I think it would. I think in general, taking a player out of the outfield, putting them, you know, at, at first or at the DH, you know, whatever adds longevity to their career easily. It's a lot less strenuous on the legs than playing the outfield. It's a lot less strenuous on the arm. Because, you know, first basemen aren't making a lot of throws. So it's definitely beneficial. It's something that we see a lot. Like, a lot of catchers will make that move around the end of their career. Um, did Joe Mauer do that? I believe so. Um, yeah. And Buster Posey played a little bit of first base. Uh, there's a few guys. Um, if you've watched Moneyball, uh, Scott Hatterberg, they he was a catcher, uh, hurt his elbow could barely throw a ball, and they just, like, picked him up, put him in first base. Interesting. I actually have not seen Moneyball. You have to watch it. I, I know. I, I remember um, the first scene is talking about, like, how much the Yankees make and how much the A's make. It, that the, the first scene is pretty crazy, but I've never actually seen the, uh, the entire movie. No, I'm like, I'm not kidding. When we're done with this, you have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll watch it. Uh, I'll watch it tonight then. For because sure. it is – 
my favorite movie ever. Okay. Is it the best baseball movie ever? Like, you know, yes. it's better than Field of Dreams, yes. better than Sandlot. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's it's, a pretty I, I feel like that'd be a hot take. I it depends on what kind of fan of baseball you are. Because if you're a fan of if you're more a fan of movies than baseball, then you'd probably pick like Field of Dreams or, you know, whatever. Or like the Sandlot is not highly regarded uh, outside of like young baseball fans. I, I feel yeah. like that's kind of the the group that we see talk about the Sandlot a lot. But yeah, Field of Dreams is more of like a movie. Moneyball is baseball. Okay, I like that. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish this off with the MLB recap stuff. Um, some good news for the Phillies, as we were talking about all the bad stuff. Bryson Stott has started off the season with a 12-game hitting streak. He's the first Phillies hitter to begin the season with one since Puddinhead Jones in 1950. <laughs> wow. And that is not Puddinghead. That is Puddin with an apostrophe at the end. You said that was 1915 or 50? 50. 50. And his was 16 <laughs> games. Oh, wow. But let's talk about one that's a little bit more impressive. Jordan Walker, he kept his streak alive, moved it to 12 games as a rookie. Uh, He got a single in the top of the ninth to extend that hitting streak. And by a rookie, this streak has not been done since 1912. Oh, man. I I love how old baseball is because when people break records, it just makes it so much more impressive. And the fact this dude's 20 years old out of Stone Mountain, Georgia. Yeah, dude, Jordan Walker is a beast. Colin talked about him a little bit on uh, Wednesday's episode. Um, like, yeah, Jordan Walker's the real deal. He's also 6'6", 245. <laughs> yeah, and they've put him and in right. They put him in right field. He's got a cannon, and he is a fantastic third baseman as well. Kind of like a, I guess, kind of sounds like a mini judge out there in outfield, sort of with the yeah. with the height and the arm. But he's actually. Younger than me. Yeah. No, uh, like me and him, I think, graduated high school the same year. Oh, that's so weird. Getting older, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're recording a podcast. He's getting ready for an MLB game. It's the <laughs> Pirates. It's 745. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. We don't care. Yeah, it's not going to hurt my feelings. It's not like I grew up dreaming of being a baseball player or whatever. All right. More Philly stuff. It just kind of happened to be here at the end. Jose Alvarado is the first MLB relief pitcher in the expansion era, which is since 1961, to strike out 11 consecutive batters in a single season. Um, This is very hard to do as a relief pitcher because you're often not going more than an inning. So to strike out 11 consecutive is crazy. Um, The only people to hit 10... Uh, are Eric Gagne in 2003 and Chad Green in 2019. Oh, Chad Green, the uh, the Yankee. Yes. Wow. So they so he struck out, you said 11 guys? Yeah, he struck out 11 consecutive um, all as a reliever. Why didn't they let him finish that inning? That would have meant that... Well, I think he probably did. Outs. He probably did finish the inning. Um, it probably just stopped at 11. He probably gave up like a hit or a walk or something. That makes sense. I got it. But that's a ridiculous streak. That's fantastic. Because you're having to do it across multiple days. Yeah, exactly. 
All right. Uh, any series that you're looking at this weekend? Oh, hang on. Let me let me go back to. I'll go ahead and say my. So I yeah. talked about Rays Blue Jays. That one's going to be fantastic. But um, we've got Twins Yankees. I think this one's going to be really good. Um, both of them at eight and four right now. The Twins four and two on the road. The Yankees four and two at home. It's definitely looking like this one could be good. Uh, another one, Brewers versus Padres, I think is going to be a good one as well. Uh, Brewers come in at eight and four. They're pretty hot right now. Uh, the Padres coming off of a pretty solid series against the Braves, a decent series against the Mets. Uh, they're seven and six now. It's definitely a series to watch. Uh, obviously, you'll be watching it late at night because it's in San Diego, but still, nonetheless, a good one. Yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of just going to echo all the ones that you said, uh, and except I want to add the Rangers and Astros. Uh, Rangers are 7-5, and five, Grayson, and the Astros are below 500, uh, so I will definitely be watching this game for sure. Rangers look like they are playing fun baseball. And good oh, baseball, yeah. too. Definitely. All right, Luke. Shall I get into my top or my team of the week? Yes, let's do it. All right. We'll start off with the outfield. I didn't go specific positions in the outfield, just went for three outfielders. So, start off with Hunter Renfro of the Los Angeles Angels. Kid's been on a tear these last seven days. And this meaning uh, from last Wednesday to this Wednesday, that's the window, uh, April 6th to April 12th. He's batting the slash line, 450 batting average, 560 on base percentage, a 1050 slugging. That's good for a 16-10 OPS. Uh, he's got three homers, eight RBIs, three doubles. Just he scored five runs. He's only struck out twice. He looks absolutely phenomenal and is really helping out for uh, a kind of struggling Mike Trout and um, the rest of the team outside of Shohei being pretty bad. Yeah. Um... Last Sunday, he had a game against the uh, against the Blue Jays that actually went into 10 innings. Uh, he had three hits and four RBI in that game and a home run. Yeah. Impressive stuff from Hunter Renfro. Uh, my second outfielder, Franchi Cordero of the New York Yankees. Kid's on a tear. Uh... I, I can't say otherwise. He's on a tear. Four home runs, nine RBIs, two walks, which is rather impressive that he's just getting on base. Um on base percentage at 383 for the week, but the OPS is what really stood out to me, a 1451 OPS for Franchi Cordero of the Yankees. Yeah, uh, he hit two home runs in a row um, on uh, the 11th and the 12th. He uh, home run in both of those games. Uh, yeah, he's just been kind of one of those guys that this might make you know really hardcore baseball fans cringe, but to me, he's a completely random player that has joined the Yankees this year, and he's been absolutely phenomenal. And I'm sure that. Uh, kind of the bigger names on the Yankees are really appreciative of uh, his contribution because he's been awesome. Yeah, I think he tied it up like real late in the game with one of those home runs he hit. Um, yeah, he's definitely been hitting in like big moments and he's showing off. Actually, he was the um, yesterday. He was the winning run, I think, or the, he drove in the winning run that won us uh, four three. It was really late. In the yeah, game too. Uh, my third outfielder, Jared Kelenic of the Seattle Mariners. Guy that we've kind of been waiting on to heat up, and he surely has in this last week. 
three home runs in three consecutive games, one of those being a 482-foot home run, the second longest of the season. Um, He had a stolen base this week, OPS at 1520. He's uh, slugging a 1,000 on the dot for that week, three doubles. It's a fantastic week from a guy that we've really just been waiting on for like a year to really show up, and he finally has. Yeah, that dude has been hot. Um, I hope he can continue playing like that. Yeah, and then we'll move to the infield. We'll start it with first base. I feel like I couldn't go anywhere but Ryan Mountcastle, and he's not really hitting for numbers, but when you have a nine RBI game, you're going to make the team of the week. Three home (laughs) runs, 12 RBIs in the week. He walked once, struck out five times. It's all right, but somehow, once again, randomly recorded a stolen base, uh, scored five runs, only batting 261 across that week, OPS at 965, nothing to scoff at. But, yeah, I was floored by the 9-RBI game. Yeah, that, that game was a 12-8 to win over the Athletics, and he was nine of their runs. That's, uh, that's very impressive. Yeah. Two home runs that game, too. Yeah, crazy stuff uh, from Ryan Mountcastle this week. At second base, how could I go anywhere but Brandon Lau of the Tampa Bay Rays? This guy is just lighting it up, and he's continued it. He had a solo shot today, but that doesn't factor into this uh, team of the week. So an OPS from the last week of 1936, that's almost 2,000. That's fucking ridiculous. And, like, the the highest OPS in the league by far um, – Crazy stuff from Brandon Lau. Uh, Four homers, 10 RBIs. He walked five times. Uh, He hit a double as well. He is certainly a major contributor to this now 13-0 Rays team. Yeah, that um, uh, five of those 10 RBIs came last Sunday against Athletics in an 11-0 shutout. So... You can really the athletics are just getting shit on by the Rays. Yeah, or really anybody that they see. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, while we were talking earlier, Adley Rutschman hit a walk off home run in the bottom of the ninth uh, to beat the Athletics. <laughs> Damn. Uh, at shortstop, I've got Corey Seager. There was a couple of different guys I could have picked. Uh, Boba Shett had a pretty good week. A few other guys as well, but Corey Seager kind of floored me with the OPS sixteen eighty two. That's the second best in the league behind Lau. Uh, for this week, only one home run and three RBIs, but four doubles. He scored four runs, and he's batting five sixty three over the past week. I believe that's first in the league. Yeah, um, one of the reasons that the Rangers have been kind of a surprise team, I feel like this year, is because of you know dudes like this guy who are just absolutely showing out for him. Yeah, he's been fantastic at third base. I feel like I couldn't go anywhere but Matt Chapman. The guy won NL player of the or AL player of the week last week, and he's just continued to do it. Three home runs, ten RBIs, batting uh, four fifty eight, of uh, OPS at fourteen seventy seven, a slugging just below a thousand at nine fifty eight. He's just been ridiculous. Uh, he's striking out a little bit too much. Six strikeouts in this week, but Matt Chapman is probably the best player on the Rays or uh, sorry on the Blue Jays right now. 100%. One of the best players in the league, for sure. Um, second in batting average, just right under 500. he He's got 15 RBI, which is tied for third. 
and um, an OPS of uh, 1.390. So he's second there in the league. So this guy's been absolutely flying. <laughs> yeah. And then at catcher, the guy who I just talked about hitting a walk-off, Adley Rutschman, this guy just continues to light it up. I think it's I think he's probably gonna pass Romuto this year as the best catcher in the league. He's just he's ridiculous. He's got the skill set, batting five twenty-six across this past week, seven RBIs, or sorry, four RBIs, two home runs. He walked seven times this week. That is crazy, especially for a catcher that hits for power. The kid is ridiculous. An on-base percentage of 654, an OPS of 1549. It's ridiculous what we're watching Adley Rutschman do in only his second year in the MLB. Yeah, I was about to say, this dude's only 20 fucking five years old. (laughs) Yeah. That's insane. Absolutely insane. Hey, man, that's what we expect from a number one prospect. Was he, He was a number one prospect? I believe so. Wow. And then um, it, it designated hitter. There wasn't a lot of good options here, but I ended up landing on Nelson Cruz um, at, what, 42 years old. <laughs> he had a six RBI game against the Braves, and that's really what put him here. One home run, eight RBIs in this last week, batting 500, a 1390 OPS over that stretch. He's looked really good. And, you know, considering he's 42, if he just keeps doing this, it's going to be ridiculous. Yeah, he um he has been playing in the MLB since I was like 3 years old. I'm looking at it now. His first season was in 2005. Yeah, I was 2. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> he's been around. <laughs> All right, that brings me to my starting pitcher. I went with Sonny Gray of the Minnesota Twins. Guys off to a hot start. Just in this last week, two starts, he got one win, 12 innings pitched, only given up seven hits, one earned run, only three walks, 18 strikeouts, and a .75 ERA over those two starts. It's just crazy. And I'm very happy with how he's looking right now. He's got a six-strikeout-to-walk ratio. He's lighting it up right now, and... Once again, another guy that's just a big part of his team's success. When Sonny Gray pitches for the Twins, it just makes him that much better. Yeah. Um, in a game against Houston that was on the 7th, which was, I think, last Friday, he had 13 strikeouts, went seven innings, and only gave up four hits and one run. Yeah. What a game. Just don't put him on the Yankees. Just yeah, and that. one of the games that he pitched this week – um, Rocco Baldelli, the manager of the Twins, said after the game that Sonny Gray's been sick. Uh, he had an upper respiratory problem and threw up shortly before taking the mound. Then comes out, throws five shutout innings. <laughs> that was uh, that was on Wednesday against the yeah White against Sox, the White Sox. Absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Didn't give and up then, a run either. <laughs> or yeah, yeah, we already said that, but yeah, that's insane. Um, and then the last one, I. I just picked a reliever. I wasn't I'm not going to keep it boxed into closer. I'm just taking one relief pitcher every week. I landed on Pete Fairbanks of the Tampa Bay Rays. He's pitched in two games, got two saves, two innings pitched. He's given up one hit, zero runs, zero walks. He only struck out one, but the craziest stat here to me is that he's faced seven batters in those uh two appearances. He got two saves. He only threw 19 pitches total. 
Wow. That's a pretty good stat there. Yeah. So averaging about nine and a half pitches per inning this past week. Yeah, that's uh that's efficiency right there. This dude's been a dog. Yeah. And the fact that he hasn't walked a single person as like I guess he's the closer now. Uh, he's got the saves. He's not a guy that I would have expected to be, you know, a, a solid closer, but he's definitely here. And, you know, though the Rays have been winning by quite a lot, seems like he's come in in those two games that they didn't and done a great job. Yeah, I, I've liked what I've seen from this dude for sure. All right. Well, that's the team of the week. Uh, I guess it's technically week two. But my first team of the week of the year, I'll keep bringing them to you. Um, And then at the end of each month, instead of a team of the week, we'll hit the team of the month. So, Luke, let's go ahead and get into some NFL news. Let's do it. All right. It's not totally official yet, but it appears that Dan Snyder is selling the commanders to Josh Harris's group, uh, which includes Magic Johnson. I'm not too sure. I haven't looked into it much to see if Robert Griffin III is actually a part of it. I know he was in talks of joining, but uh, I can confirm that Magic Johnson is a part of Josh Harris's ownership group. That's that's awesome. And and I one thing that we actually haven't talked about, I don't think yet, and it's definitely, it's a valid conversation to have. Do you think there will be legal action taken against like Dan Schneider after he sells the team, or is he just going to sell the team and fall off the face of the earth? Unfortunately, I think that'll be the case. Yeah, I do too. I, I, I would don't think love anybody's going to go after him. Yeah, I would love to see justice served, but he's got the kind of money that you know, once he's out of the situation, he could just disappear. And the kind of power. Um, I mean, he literally threatened Roger Goodell. Like, if you come after me, I have dirt on you too. I completely yeah. blackmailed him whenever Roger Goodell, you know, was threatening action against him. So. It sucks. It sucks, you know, to kind of like talk about that he probably won't have justice served to him, but at least, at least he'll be out of the NFL. And it seems yeah. like relatively soon, sooner than we thought. Yeah. Uh, Packers running back Aaron Jones, uh, he was asked about his contract revision where he went from 16 million all the way down to 11 million in 2023. He said that he wouldn't call it a pay cut because he never actually made $11 million in his career. So. Uh, still the most he'll ever make and still makes him the second highest paid running back. He said that it matched up with the market and he didn't want to be greedy. I think he's probably one of the first NFL players to just be like, yeah, I'll take 5 million less. And just so I'm not greedy. If you're a Packers fan, go buy his Jersey. Yeah, that's all I got to say. I, because what, I, you're going to have to remind me, but we talked about something that he did um, not too long ago. It may have been in regards to contract uh, talks and stuff, but he was it in regards to a pay cut. Yeah, I think I think before. I think when this happened back in February, we talked about it and we we're like, wow, like, look at Aaron Jones. Like, this is a fantastic idea for him, you know, helping the team out and just continues to back it up. I, I love what I'm seeing. I, I love Aaron Jones in general. Me too, and I, I hope the I hope Matt Lafleur starts putting the ball in his hands more because he definitely deserves it. Um, what a guy, what a player! Um, I love Aaron Jones. Yeah. All right. Uh, famed NFL reporter Quandre Diggs. 
<laughs> tweeted, according to my sources, the Seahawks are going big and kicking off the draft by hosting a party at the Space Needle, reported by Quandre Diggs. <laughs> I love the way he formatted this tweet. Obviously, like nobody really cares that the Seahawks are having a draft party at the Space Needle, but it's so funny that Quandre Diggs tweeted this out like this. <laughs> I know, and I don't know that. Space Needle, I feel like that'd be badass to hold a draft party there. It's cool. If you're, if it's you're cool. Seahawks. Yeah, that's that's an awesome tweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm not too sure how much you've heard about this, Luke, but uh, Devin White earlier this week requested a trade from the Buccaneers, and now it's being reported that the Buccaneers have no intention of trading Devin White. Everybody trying to jump ship. <laughs> yeah, they are the Buccaneers trying to Play somewhere where there isn't a ship in the stadium, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Devin White, that that's a he's a fucking premier player in this league. Um, that would be a huge trade. I wonder what's gonna happen. I mean, he they obviously have to do something. If he's requesting a trade and the Buccaneers have zero intention, then I, I would think that they would want to keep him happy, right? Yeah, which the only way to keep him happy right now is pay him what he deserves, and they're certainly not looking at it. For sure. What's his contract looking like now? I'm not sure specifically, but um, he might be on his rookie deal still. Yeah, and he might be kind of like at least soon up for his bigger deal, I guess, and which is why he's, I guess, unsettled. Yeah, so um, this season – no, okay, so this season he's going to be making $11 million and he believes that he should be making more. I think that's fair. Yeah, he needs to be making more than 11 mil. Yeah. I think he's a he's an absolute dog who will probably continue to be a dog for a much longer time. He's still young. Yeah, he is. It's only 2023 is going to be his 5th season. Like that is not <laughs> it's not all that much for a guy that has certainly cemented himself as a very solid middle linebacker. Yeah, I mean, shit, if the Buccaneers don't want him, I'll take him in Pittsburgh. I'm sure you'll take him in Atlanta if it came down yeah. to that. Yeah, fuck it. He's, uh, Whatever. He's awesome. He is awesome. I'll give you 15. <laughs> I'll give him 17. <laughs> All right, you can have him. <laughs> done deal. As the GMs of the Falcons and Steelers, respectively, that deal is done. You guys can feel yeah. free to report that. I know Adam yep. Scheffner's listening, so. Oh, dude, he, he <laughs> texts me all the time. Great episode, yeah. Luke. Keep it up. Thanks, Shefty. <laughs> All right. Let's talk a little bit about the Jets because how could we not? So, interesting opportunity here for Aaron Rodgers because this is going to be the first time, if you know, if he actually goes to the Jets, there's no fucking telling. We're going to, I think we're going to talk about that a little bit uh, later. But if he does go to the Jets with Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis at wide receiver, this will be the first chance he has to throw a touchdown to a first-round wide receiver in his career. <laughs> Which is why he's not with the Packers anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is such an interesting stat, and it's even crazier when you hear this. So the most touchdown passes without a touchdown to a first-round wide receiver since 1970, Blake Bortles in third uh, with 103. Steve Bartkowski in second with 156. Aaron Rodgers in first with 475. So 300 more than second place. Uh, Yeah, 319 to be exact. So that's that's his entire career, right? Yeah. Wow. 
That's insane. Did Brett Favre have any first rounders? Uh, I'm I'm sure there was one. <laughs> I mean, he had. Uh, uh, who was his Sharp brother? Uh, Sterling. Who yeah, was Sterling Sharp, who I believe was a first rounder. Yeah, and um, I don't I don't know if Donald Driver all the way from back in the day was a first round. Greg Jennings wasn't a first round draft pick. I don't Aaron know. Rogers? I think I think that I just overrate Greg Jennings because of the Madden video. Oh, I, I was, <laughs> with the oh yeah, I know exactly what yeah, you're talking that, about. That's like, like my favorite sports themed internet video ever. <laughs> Dude, when he pauses it, uh-oh. Yeah. Darren Let's Sharp go or whatever. <laughs> Darren Sharper. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Let's go into the mind of a Greg Jennings. <laughs> Classic shit right video. there. All right, let's talk about Cynthia Freeland of NFL Network. Uh, she put out a pro comparison for the top quarterback prospects using a context-based data model. Um, some interesting results here, to say the least. So we'll start off with Bryce Young. His and So all of these are a combination of two players, which is kind of weird, but... They're saying that Bryce Young is Tua Tagovailoa and Teddy Bridgewater. I I don't think so, <laughs> personally. I don't see much of a similarity. I like Teddy Bridgewater is a little bit of like a smaller quarterback. Uh, Tua is kind of the complete opposite of Bryce Young. Tua is like pretty big. Uh, he's lefty. Um, not really reliant as much on running. Whereas Bryce Young definitely runs a, a fair share, which I guess would be the similarity to Teddy Bridgewater. I feel like, to me, a better comparison would be like Drew Brees and Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, actually, Drew Brees, I feel like, fits perfect. Um, I kind of can't really like comment on how I feel about the Teddy Bridgewater association because like, I can barely remember when like Teddy Bridgewater was like a premier quarterback, honestly. It's been a while now. Yeah, I I think that's that's true. But when you think about his time in Minnesota when he was the starter, he was certainly like a, a above average. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he was fun. Um, but yeah, no, I I kind of agree with you there. I think Drew Brees fits a lot better than Tua. Yeah, uh, C.J. Strouds came out with Dak Prescott and Jared Goff. Um, I I kind <laughs> not of very flattering. it's not flattering. <laughs> But these are two guys that have certainly had their fair share of moments. Um, obviously, Jared Goff, a Super Bowl quarterback. People forget that often. But I get it because it's like, okay, both of these guys, kind of pure passer, move around in the pocket a little bit. But I think C.J. Stroud is a lot more athletic than both of these guys. And I would say that C.J. Stroud is a little bit more of like a stronger arm than both yeah. of these guys, too. Um yeah, Dak Prescott and Jared Goff, wow. It's an interesting one, but this has got to be the worst. Uh, Anthony Richardson is Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. <laughs> like, what the <laughs> fuck, dude? <laughs> like, it can't be uh, serious. I don't, I don't really... Carson Wentz. Huh. I don't see the Carson Wentz part at all, other than that they're both big. Yeah, big and maybe kind of struggle with like, you know, certain defensive, like, you know, schemes against them, maybe. Maybe I get it. But like the Jalen Hurts, I get it because they could both run, but there are different types of runners. Like Anthony Richardson is a physical runner. Jalen Hurts is an elusive runner. 
Yeah, and and I feel like uh, Anthony Richardson is more of your spectacular kind of runner, more like Justin Fields, while Jalen Hurts is more like a like almost like a systematic runner, like a lot yeah. of QB sneaks and a lot of short runs and a lot of like actual plays designed for him to run. Yeah, I think Anthony Richardson has like the strength over Jalen Hurts and like the athleticism, but Jalen Hurts I think is just a more skilled runner. Yeah, I like that take. So I I I get the Jalen Hurts part. I, I couldn't tell you why Carson Wentz is anywhere close to this list, but whatever. Will Levis, this one's like the the most mean thing they could have said, and I'm glad they did. Will <laughs> Levis is Sam Darnold and Jay Cutler. Ah, uh, uh, <laughs> that's brutal. Right, Will. <laughs> <laughs> like I hate Will Levis, but Sam Darnold and Jay Cutler. That just means, like, like what is he getting from Sam Darnold? The fact that he can't read a defense, uh, throws a lot of interception. Like, that's what Sam Darnold does. Um, he has the ability to throw the ball very far, but he's inconsistent. So I see the Sam Darnold one. Jake Cutler, kind of the same boat. A strong pocket passer. You know, never was fantastic. Was always, like, pretty good. Also bad. Um, I could see I see Jay Cutler more than I see Sam Darnold. Yeah, I I guess I think that Jay Cutler and Will Levis physically line up a lot better. I do understand where Sam Darnold comes from though. Yeah, no, I I get that. I I feel like um, it's also kind of Sam Darnold and Jay Cutler are also kind of two quarterbacks, and I I want to say that when they were you know about to get drafted, they were kind of perceived as like. Kind of like with what people say about Will Levis, he is the most teachable quarterback. He looks like an NFL quarterback. Yeah. Um, which also, you know, I guess kind of seems to be a pattern of you probably shouldn't draft those guys. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and then our last one is Hendon Hooker. And this one honestly is like, I think this one's perfect. It's Jacoby oh, yeah. Brissett yeah. and Daniel Jones. Like it it seems about right. I like this one, but kind of the same thing with what I said about C.J. Stroud is Jacoby Brissett and Daniel Jones, and especially with Hendon Hooker, they do not have the arm that Hendon Hooker has. Well, I think that's the Jacoby Brissett part because Jacoby Brissett can certainly just sling the ball down the field, um, a lot of times resulting in a pick, unlike what Hendon Hooker had. But I, I get it a little bit where it's like, okay, they're strong. They've got a strong arm because Jacoby Brissett does have a strong arm. He's just relatively inconsistent when it's throwing over the middle, which I guess Hendon Hooker did kind of have a problem with in college, not too bad of a problem, but he typically stuck to the outside. And then Daniel Jones, it's kind of that like, you know, run when you need to and can certainly make something out of nothing type ability that Hendon Hooker also holds. So I, I think that this one's the most accurate of the whole list. Yeah, no, I I agree with that too. It definitely is the most accurate. All right, Saquon, some very interesting news here. He will not be signing the franchise tag. Therefore, he will not be eligible to participate when the Giants' offseason program begins Monday. Big. Very big. Yeah. (laughs) Like, this is interesting because this means the Giants have to throw some cash at him. Yeah. Um. And I'm sure a lot of this kind of has to do with uh, them sort of maybe prioritizing slash choosing Daniel Jones over Saquon, who's 
you know, and we've talked about it. Running backs do not have the longevity that a quarterback will have. That I mean, like, there's not even a comparison there uh, in regards to longevity. But Saquon's been there longer. You know, he's more of a giant than Daniel Jones is, I would say. Yeah. I'm sure that, you know, that signing had to have just a little bit offended him. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'd be offended. Yeah. Big time. Um, the Jets. A little bit more happening with them every day. They've got some interest now in making a run at DeAndre Hopkins now that they've missed out on Odell. Um, of course, Sauce Gardner had to get to Twitter to recruit his guy. Uh, he said, me and D-Hop had a great talk when I was in Dallas last week. Man, I love Sauce and, and his involvement in social media. <laughs> Dude, give him a bucket hat and a clipboard, and I wouldn't even fucking he, – he's just another scout out there. I wouldn't know who he is. Yeah, dude. He's he's <laughs> doing better work than any of the reporters. Yeah, he is. Uh, he he really is. And, and the whole, like, you know – I'll burn the uh, I'll burn the cheese head if you you know like that whole thing with Aaron Rodgers like he he knows how to entice you know he's 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 good at that but I just think Grayson wouldn't this be so funny if Aaron Rodgers was like yeah I don't really think so <laughs> and just that would be funny <laughs> could you imagine dude all these fucking players would be contacting their lawyers like how the fuck do I get off this team <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious <laughs> yeah um. And a little bit more Jets um, before we talk about the last thing and then draft. Um, Woody Johnson, the uh, owner, I believe, maybe the GM. I'm I'm blanking, but um, he doesn't want to guarantee a first after what happened with the Broncos and Russell Wilson. Um, Jets, yeah, the owner. Uh, he wants to add conditionals to the deal. Uh, it was reported that the parties had the parameters of the deal in place, but after Rogers said the ninety percent retired thing. Uh, on the Pat McAfee show, Woody Johnson got kind of scared to spend high draft capital on him, and that would kind of explain why the Packers don't want to take less as well. Yeah, so so that pretty much explains why this is taking so damn long. Yes. Yeah, that's um that's interesting because it, it really has been a long time. I, I can't remember um kind of a time where a trade that was like almost a 100 percenter has been drawn out this long, which is kind of like, I don't know. I feel like we haven't heard from uh, Aaron Rodgers about this in a while. And it's kind of made me wonder, like if there is, if there is an, if in this trade, like, is there a possibility that Aaron Rodgers won't be a jet? I, I don't think so. They'll figure something out because at some point the Packers are going to be like, Oh shit. He's still on the books and OTAs are starting or, yeah. you know, something, something is going to happen. They'll be like, okay, we'll do it. But yeah. on the jet side, it's like, okay, well we want this guy here now. Yeah, exactly. So it's, uh, it's they're, they're playing chicken right now. That That's really what it is. Yeah. That, that is pretty much what it is. <laughs> All right. Uh, the NFL PA's report card being dropped was completely random. Uh, nobody was really aware of that happening. And then it just comes out, and it appears that the owners are rather embarrassed by this, and I'm I'm glad they are. Yeah, good. Um, NFL owners are kind of... Um, Bitches. Collectively <laughs> shitty. Yeah, <laughs> like seriously, they are strange billionaires. <laughs> really. They are. Uh, I, I, yeah, you're right. I'm glad. Um, 
I know a lot of teams, you know, have a good like kind of player uh, and coaching staff. Like they they all have good relationships with the owners. But like the the NFLPA did an awesome job here, and I, I'm glad that they kind of had to do some, uh, uh, I guess, like aggressive journalism, if you want to call it that, against these owners because they they a hundred percent need to be more, held more accountable. A hundred percent. Yeah, like the shit that we saw on those report cards and like some of the reports that came out after them. These are things that need to be addressed. And now there's pressure from the public for it to be addressed and pressure from the players like publicly that like these owners need to do something about it. Yeah. It's not like they don't have the means to. No, they've got plenty of money. Yeah. So I, I am right there with you. Like the, the word embarrassed just really just brings a smile to my face because <laughs> yeah. they, they ought to be. Seriously. They should. All right, last thing before we get into some draft talk. Giants defensive tackle Dexter Lawrence will not report to the team's offseason program on Monday due to his unresolved contract situation. So it's not just Saquon that's getting fucked over. Looks like they don't even want to pay Dexter Lawrence yet, which I don't think is the case. I think they're going to hash out a pretty penny for Dexter Lawrence with how good he was last year, but certainly something to watch because if the Giants don't do this right, they are really going to fuck themselves over on both sides of the ball. Exactly. Um, and they've even, um, they have had an exciting off season. They were exciting last year and they're on the verge of kind of, you know, they, they've added some guys, but they're on the verge of losing, you know, their important guys that have been there and given them uh, their all, you know, throughout multiple seasons. And Dexter Lawrence is an absolute dog that they need to bring back. And lucky for the giants, it seems like he is a little bit more committed to sticking with them. But um, we'll just have to see. All right. Let's get into a little bit of draft talk. So in the last week, the Texans have hosted C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. In my mind, still, I'm still stuck with C.J. Stroud at one. But it just seems like it keeps switching every day. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I agree. It's such a weird thing because – so when – um, I think it was either the Combine or like Ohio State's Pro Day. Right after that, CJ Stroud was the favorite, kind of by far, um, you know, betting favorite to be the number one overall pick. Now, Bryce Young has skyrocketed to th- minus 300 as the favorite to be the number one overall pick. That's per the Caesars Sportsbook. It's just so back and forth here. I thought... You know, for a little bit, it was like, okay, it's a lock. Bryce Young's going number one. Then we start talking about the sides and all that and all the issues there. And then combine and pro days and meetings and all that happen. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, C.J. Stroud is going to the Panthers. Well, is he? Like, there's no telling right now. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And that's what's kind of keeping this so entertaining for me is even like holistically, if if we would just want to look at the draft as a whole for a second, we really don't know what the fuck is going to happen this year <laughs> at all. And uh, I am really enjoying the chaos, especially, you know, doing the podcast. There's a lot of content here <laughs> and it's awesome. It is so much fun to pay attention to. Um, yeah. I, I'm still on team CJ Stroud and I'm, I'm not hopping off because season's over and combine is over. And I still just don't understand how, like you just said, Bryce Young, where did this skyrocket come from? Did it come from this meeting alone? Or you get know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, and the same thing happening happened with Anthony Richardson. 
of course, it came out that he had lost all this weight and he has the body of a Greek god. He's athletic as fuck. But, like, the hype that some of these players are getting is just, like, it's just throwing – it's just adding adding fuel to the flames as far as, like, how crazy this draft is going to be. Yeah, let me tell you, uh, come draft night, we are going to have some interesting things to talk about. But let's talk about Will Anderson for a second. The Lions hosted Will Anderson. The Lions, uh, they have the sixth overall pick. It doesn't seem like he'd drop that low, but with talks that the Cardinals might trade down – and, you know, uh, fucking Chris Sims put out a list where he had Will Anderson as his fifth best edge rusher in the draft. Like, wow. things like that will hurt your stock. But I still think that if the Cardinals don't trade down, they're getting Will Anderson. Yeah, but, you know, just kind of reading this, it would be so cool to have Aiden Hutchinson and Will Anderson on the other side. Oh, yeah. That would be pretty sick. Yeah, that would be crazy. But yeah, I don't, I don't see him dropping that far because honestly, like the Seahawks, I guess don't really need an edge. They they're more in line to either go like Jalen Carter or maybe a quarterback. But I, I don't know. Like, there's the the possibility that Jalen Carter drops. There's a possibility that a bunch of teams just make draft day trades and all the quarterbacks just go off the board in the top five. Like, there's no yeah. telling what's going to happen. No, and that's why, uh, dude, I can't wait for the draft. <laughs> yeah. That is going to be so much fun. Going to be fantastic. And then TCU running back Kendra Miller, who I've kind of forgotten about throughout this whole draft process. I forgot he was going to the NFL. He met with the Chargers and the Rams on Sunday or Saturday at TCU um, and then also has a couple of visits um, this week with the Giants, Bills, and Cardinals Kendra Miller was a guy that I was super hot on during the season for TCU. I thought he was a huge part of that team. Ends up going down with an injury uh, late in the season. I think it was in the Big 12 championship game, maybe. But Kendra Miller was so good for like definitely like a couple of weeks, but really the whole season he was solid. And a lot of people have overlooked him in these draft talks. I don't think he's going to go first round. I think that Bijan, in my mind, is the only running back even worth a first round pick. But I think Kendra Miller's probably a, a day two kind of guy, maybe mid second round. Uh, it just depends. I haven't really seen his name a lot, so I can't say for certain that he is. But, you know, maybe people see him going ahead of like Devin A. Chain out of Texas AM maybe even ahead of Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama, but there's really no telling. I think Kendra Miller here, I would like to see the Chargers personally. Yeah, especially if they're going to lose Eckler. Especially if they're going to lose Eckler. Um, but really interesting, you know, that he has some meetings with the Giants too. Yeah, that that is concerning almost. Yeah, very concerning. Um but, you know, I, I'm excited for the running backs. Jameer Gibbs, like you just brought up, is going to be another good one. And, of course, Bijan Robinson. The the running backs, I feel like, honestly, as a whole, are being overlooked in this draft. Um, yeah, Kendra Miller to the Chargers. That's what I want to see. Yeah. Uh, and then another guy that's kind of come out of nowhere, but I've seen him in a couple of first rounds, uh, Georgia Tech edge rusher Keon White. He's visiting with the Titans um, I believe that was on Wednesday. He was visiting with the Titans. 
that's another kind of interesting development. I didn't see him very much. And then all of the sudden I see him, you know, make it into like, I think he was like pick 30 in one that I saw. And then I've seen him in the twenties in a couple the Titans. They're picking at 14. It would be crazy to see a guy who really hasn't been talked about at all. Jump all the way up there to the Titans at 14 or 13. I, would. I think, um, I think I have at 13. I think Patriots him. are 14. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're good. Um, I like, uh, of course, you know, I, I do go to Georgia now, um, but I actually grew up a Georgia Tech fan. So it's always like kind of nice to see and like hear about players about them or players coming out of there. Um, I would honestly like it better if Georgia Tech was, you know, a better team because that Georgia Georgia Tech rivalry would be so sick if Georgia Tech was good. Um, but Keon White actually had a game against uh, North Carolina this year where I think he recorded three sacks against them and UNC was pretty good this year. So. Super impressive game, and uh, yeah, I would like to see where this guy can land, uh, especially, you know, kind of like how you talked about coming out of nowhere, basically. So it, this was, uh, this is an interesting dude. Yeah, and uh, rumor on the street is that the Buccaneers are in love with Will Levis. Uh-oh. That's just, you really want to go Tom Brady to Will Levis? <laughs> I would rather go Tom Brady to Baker Mayfield. Oh, man, I don't know. At least Baker has, has made it to the playoffs before. Like, I don't – there is nothing about Will Levis other than the fact that he is built like an NFL quarterback that makes me think that any team should just be like, yeah, we love Will Levis. Yeah, he – Um, I would take Hendon Hooker over Will Levis. Yeah. I would too. Honestly. I, and I feel like, you know, with, with the way that people like to talk about Will Levis, I, I'm sure that that was a pretty hot take to some people. But I love Hendon Hooker, um, especially over Will Levis. Will Levis is just, you know, he might have the build, but, like, can he throw? <laughs> yeah, look, he's got a cannon. I can't even doubt that. He's got a cannon. Can he throw to the right team? That's a question. Um, You know, just in general, can he be a solid starting quarterback? I didn't see it at Kentucky in this last season. Obviously, just a down year in general for the whole team. But Will Levis looked bad, and it just made things worse that it seems like other quarterbacks have just emerged and look better. And Will Levis is one of those guys that, like, with the attention that he's gotten, I I think he'll be a day-one starter anywhere that he goes, really. Um, At least that's kind of my prediction, but... He probably shouldn't be um, if you want to have like a, a good draft pick with Will Levis. I think he's kind of like Anthony Richardson. He'll need to sit behind somebody yeah. where I'm comfortable. And maybe, who knows, like how you said, Baker Mayfield, you know, he is on the Buccaneers now. Maybe he can sit be- um, behind Baker Mayfield. I'm sure Baker Mayfield, you know, with his past would be a fantastic mentor. That's true. He could probably teach you a couple things, like where the best nightclubs are. A keg stand. Um, yeah. That'd be interesting. Mm, yeah. I would be very interested to see the man that Will Levis becomes when Baker Mayfield is his mentor. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. But, I mean, I don't personally hate the Buccaneers for Will Levis. It's just if he's a day one starter, he's going to get murdered. Yeah. I think that one's safe to say. All right, one last thing in college or, you know, in draft talk that I want to bring up, and that's C.J. Stroud's real name. Because I had never seen this before yesterday. 
his name is Coldridge. Col- Coleridge? Col- Col- yeah, Coleridge. Bernard Stroud the Fourth. King's name. Yeah, it's a solid name. I like that. Good actually, the trailer. same place where I saw his name, um, I actually found out his dad is in prison and has in like is serving a 38 year sentence. No, it's really funny that you brought that up because this entire episode we went without talking about crime on this podcast. And yeah. here we are. Yep, here we are. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, CJ Stroud, um, his father hasn't really been there at all, I believe, is what I've heard. Um I I don't have the article in front of me that I saw and I can't find it. But um yeah, apparently since uh, CJ got to Ohio State, his him and his dad have begun, you know, talking, and they talk uh, every week after every one of his games. But it's it's interesting to see because we don't get to see this story a lot with quarterbacks. No, not really. Yeah, um, like it, it kind of feeds into the stupid shit that Deion Sanders said, where he was like. <laughs> I want my quarterbacks to be from a two two parent household and blah blah blah, and then like I want my defensive linemen or whatever to be like I can't even remember what he said like beaten. I don't know, but <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> that's obviously you know not what, what he said. But <laughs> it was along those lines. Um, that is a interesting dynamic though that I've just noticed. And that, and you said yeah. that Deion Sanders said that. Yeah, Deion said it himself. Like he wants his quarterbacks to be like straight A students, two parent household, like all that. And then he wants like his defensive players to like have a rough upbringing essentially. Okay. I mean, that's kind of, I don't know if I'd really say that. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) that was me and Brock's uh, reaction to the same thing. Like that. Exactly. (laughs) It was like, why do you have to say this? To change the subject, I actually have a really good question. Where does the J come from in his name? I think it's just the sound of his name. Because there's like Stroud. a there's kind of like a J sound with D G E. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I I don't know where else it would come from. That's his full name. So maybe he just didn't want to be Col Coleridge. Yeah, I, Coleridge. I, I can't know. decide how I want to say. I want to say Coldridge, but it's not spelled that way. Uh, it, it's just. It, it. I mean, it looks like Coleridge. Yeah. In the prep sheet. So I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe I'll ask him. Me and C J Stroud talk all the time. <laughs> yeah, kind of like how Adam Schefter and I talk all Yeah, time. you and Schefter are always talking, and then me and CJ Stroud talk. So whenever Schefter tweets anything about CJ Stroud, trust that it came from me to Luke to Schefter. All right, Luke, enough of the jokes. Or is it a joke? No. Um, top 10 <laughs> safeties from this past season to round out this series we've done. My God, has it been quite, <laughs> quite the struggle throughout the these months of putting together these lists and like actually believing in them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. And um, I got to say, this is the least prepared I've ever been for one. I didn't realize that I was so engulfed in all of my other notes that I totally skipped over this list. I made it about, uh, what it's, uh, 10, 15 minutes before we recorded. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So <laughs> it, look, if it's bad, feel free to attack me. I'm gonna admit defeat already. I will. I will take. I will take the first one here. All right. I appreciate that. At number ten, I'm gonna go with Buddha Baker. This dude 
he had a little bit of an off year, but there are a lot of things that I want to note here that he did very well. 75 solo tackles, by far the most on my list. Very impressive. One forced fumble, two interceptions, seven passes defended, and then I'm going to get into the grades here that were all very good. Um, 80.2 run defense grade, which was his run defense and kind of hints the 75 tackles. It is. It was by far the best aspect of his game uh, in this last year because, I mean, he was just eating running backs up. Um, very entertaining to watch. Uh, and another thing, eight tackles at or behind the line of scrimmage. He was third in that stat, so pretty high there. And also, I, I haven't talked about coverage yet, which is a big part of uh, safeties. Um, weeks 12 through 16, he actually ended up getting hurt, I think, week 16 or 17. He was graded at an 80.7, which would have put him pretty high. So for those kind of like four to five weeks, he was an absolute dog in coverage. But, yeah, Buda Baker had a little bit of an off year, but I still love the dude. He made my top ten. All right. My number ten is Jesse Bates the third of formerly the Cincinnati Bengals, now a Falcons player. A great year for him. Really a bounce back. Uh, down year in 21, but uh, fourth most war at his position in 2022. Um, mainly just because he played a lot. Um, played more than 1,000 defensive snaps. Fourth time in his five-year career. And yeah. earned him a top 20 grade in both coverage and run defense. I am just, you know, this could just be me being so excited for Jesse Bates to be on the Falcons. But I really do think that he was fantastic last season. I love Jesse Bates. Um, that is by far, I think, y'all's best offseason move. Um, I For my number nine, I'm going to go with a guy that barely really played, actually. Jimmy Ward. Three interceptions, one forced fumble, five passes defended, and he had two stuffs. This guy, like, literally barely only played, like, 500 snaps. So I, I think if you're under 500, you don't get a PPF grade or PFF. Sorry, I do that all the time. I don't, I don't think you get a PFF grade if you're under 500 snaps. But he, you know, barely made the cut there. He had a 91.8 uh, run defense grade, which was the best uh, among all safeties. He had an average depth of tackle of just two yards. And he also didn't miss a tackle all year long. Wow. That's insane. Yeah, I, I just love the whole, you know, best run defense grade out of all safeties and three interceptions. Yeah, that's crazy considering that, awesome. like, he played a decent amount of snap. Like, in the games that he was in, he was very much an impact player on the field in such well, a star-studded defense. Yeah, he was a he was a big reason that they were you know super super good, um, but yeah, Jimmy Ward made my number nine. All right, my number nine, Kyle Duggar of the New England Patriots, a guy that only his third year in the league. It's fantastic, a uh, very much a Bill Belichick pick in the draft for him. He was drafted fourteenth, or, or sorry, um, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong side. second round out of Lenore Rhine, and has just. Been pretty damn good. Um, top 20 run defense grade at a 76.7 and a top 10 coverage grade at 70, 78.3. Um, he's just a big part of this Patriots defense, which was very important last year because their offense really could not get it going, and they still had a late run at the playoffs. Kyle Duggar was a huge part of that team and you know playing a majority of the snaps. Um, actually, 
near the line of scrimmage, some in the box. Like, they had him all over the field. But crazy how much action he was involved in as a safety. Yeah, I uh, I like how he has progressed in the league. He's starting to turn into, you know, a really, really solid safety over there in New England. But my number eight, and I actually forgot about this guy, uh, that he made my list, but I am super excited to talk about this dude. So Rodney McLeod, McLeod, thank you. Uh, 11-year vet, became a starter in week three. 59 uh, solo tackles, which is high among my list. Two interceptions, eight passes defended. He was targeted 59 times in coverage, which was the second most in his position. But he allowed just a 64.4 completion rate, which was third best coverage among safeties. He was sixth best in war. And the dude is a free agent right now. The Colts did not re-sign him. And I've seen rumors of an Eagles reunion because he was on the team that won the Super Bowl. But... The, yeah, my favorite stat is that he is a free agent. <laughs> yeah, that that's crazy. And what's crazier is that he's also my number eight. <laughs> and you essentially covered everything. Like, it, it's crazy. The, the the stat that I love the most was that he was targeted 59 times in coverage and allowed just a 64.4% completion rate. Third best coverage among safeties at 85.3. That is cr- a crazy number right there. I probably would have put him higher if, you know, he played the entire season um, and, like, had a, a bit more importance on that defense. He's definitely an important part. Um, but I think, you know, if he was, you know, week one starter, started every single game, like, was very much, like, in the spotlight, I probably could have put him higher. Yeah, yeah that's a good take there. Um my number seven was an interesting guy. Uh, this dude, I think he he played with um, with the Rams last season. He's with the uh, Bills now, which is interesting because they now have Micah Hyde, uh, Jordan Poyer, and Taylor Rapp, who is my number seven. This guy last year had two interceptions, six passes defended, one fumble recovery, Run defense grade of 82.3, coverage grade of 72.9. Not that good, but he's still above 70, which is, you know, pretty decent. Uh, those were both career highs, by the way. Allowed 7.5 yards per reception, which was tied for second. On 48 targets, which is a career best. 84.6 tackle grade, has him at 12th. Missed tackle rate, only at a 63 point, uh, or no, 6.3. Um, and he has been below 10% in all of his four years as far as uh, missed tackle rate. So good tackling safety. Yeah, that's a fantastic pick. Um, at number seven, I've got Kevin Byard of the Tennessee Titans, uh, overall graded at a 78.7 on PFF, followed up uh, a very good 2021 season uh, with another top 10 performance. Uh, Fourth time in his seven-year career that he's finished in PFF's top 10. Uh, his numbers were just impressive. Um, the sixth straight season of a th- more than a 1,000 defensive snaps and top five grades as a tackler with a 90.1 grade uh, in tackling and an 81 in coverage. Absolutely 
crazy year for Kevin Byard, who just seems to just continue to improve every year of his seven-year career now. Yeah, uh, that he's one of the few bright lights on that um, that Titans team. <laughs> yeah, it's like him and Jeffrey Simmons on the defense, and that's about it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, for my number six, I went with Cameron Curl of the Commanders. This is a dude who's just now kind of, you know, starting to break out, starting to look good. First of all, he was a seventh rounder. <clears throat> excuse me, seventh rounder in 2020. Um, so in two years, he has really, really progressed. And last year, he had five and a half stuffs, which is pretty high on my list. He also had a sack. Upgrades, um, I think he was top 10 in run defense and coverage, which is, you know, always solid for safeties. He also had a 4.7 missed tackle rate, which has him at sixth among safeties. So Cameron Curl was my number six. I love how this guy is starting to break out, kind of like Kyle Duggar. Yeah. Uh, my number six. I went with Derwin James, and I could I, I maybe put him a little high. Um, I'm not sure really because last year was kind of a down year when you look at the numbers because of how good he has been. But he put up a 71.3 grade in man coverage. That's 13th, but he allowed the lowest yards per reception at seven among all safeties. Um, he's got huge value as a blitzer. Uh, a 90.9 pass rush grade, that's second, and nine pressures, that's tied for sixth, four sacks uh, on 31 pass rush attempts. Uh, just his impact all over the field is what makes Derwin James so damn good. Damn, that was low. Okay, yeah. I, I thought that I I wasn't sure if I went high or low here with Derwin James because I don't think he plays the safety position as traditional as some others because of uh, you know kind of how much he plays in the box and pass rushes but i i think yeah i probably could have put him higher you're you're kind of having me think i put you're you're having me think that i put him too high <laughs> i don't know but, uh, hey it's all up to your interpretation exactly um my number 5 uh i hate talking about other afc north players but i just have to you know what the ravens drafted Kyle Hamilton and it worked out the fuck cares but anyway let's just run through this he made my top five kyle hamilton one forced fumble five passes defended three and a half stuffs um this dude is an interesting safety because he's 6'4 220 that's kind of exactly like he plays how his body is top five grades in run defense and pass rush um i don't know if i said it but three and a half stuffs so he's you know getting into the run game there also a top 10 coverage grade at 76.8 so Hamilton is unfortunately really solid, so he made my number five. <laughs> my number five is Ryan Neal of the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, actually, the highest graded safety on PFF with an 85.6. He had a fantastic season. I would have put him higher if his season started really before week five. Um, he didn't, he wasn't the starter until week five. Finally, it was like primary, but. After week five, didn't allow a single touchdown, just a 54.3% completion percentage uh, on 35 targets, 20% forced incompletion rate, only a 51.3 passer rating when he was targeted, uh, and the second best coverage grade at the position with an 85.7. Ryan Neal had an out-of-nowhere fantastic season, and he might have stolen Jamal Adams' job. 
another damn Seahawk too. They just have all these, you know, awesome players out of nowhere. It seems like for them. Um, for number four, this is where I have Kevin Byard. What a player this guy is. 69 tackles. Nice, but also nice in the sense that, like, that is very, very high. I kind of thought, you know, Baker at 75 would kind of be alone. But, no, Kevin Byard is right there behind him, only six tackles less. Um, also four interceptions. He had six passes defended. <clears throat> and kind of just echoing what you said earlier, Six, eight, six straight season playing a 1,000 snaps. That That is super impressive. You know, this is a grueling game. And, you know, with 69 tackles, Kevin Byard is, you know, it's not like he's not involved. Um, So very involved safety there. And you've already said this as well, but a top five tackle grade, a top five coverage grade. Um, Yeah, Kevin Byard is just really solid, super underrated player in the league. Yeah. Uh, my number four, Kyle Hamilton. Guy's just ridiculously good. And as a rookie as well, it's it's crazy. Um, you know, he wasn't the full time starter for the entire season, but I think that when it comes down to what he did across this entire year, it's crazy. The the size and athletic ability, uh, like I remember watching him at Notre Dame. Kid can cover the entire field before the wide receiver gets to the ten yard like ten yards out. Like it is crazy. Put up top five grades. Uh, in both um, defending uh, run defense and rushing the passer, uh, and a top 10 coverage grade at 76.8. He had an insanely good year, and uh, you're right. All of the teams in the AFC North uh, are certainly scared of Kyle Hamilton. I just I can't get over the fact that he's fucking 6'4", 220, playing safety. He's top 10 graded in coverage, and he's top 5 in run defense and pass rush. Like, incredible. <laughs> yeah absolutely incredible um and yeah that's like we're getting into freak of nature territory and it's only he's he's a rookie he was the 14th pick unbelievable but all right the top three this guy flew under my radar with how big of a season he had but i i love talking about this guy number three i have the honey badger tyron matthew 64 tackles three interceptions he also had a sack eight passes defended with his new team uh in new orleans he played a career high of uh, of snaps. He was sixth uh, this season in snaps played. He had the best coverage grade among all safeties. 7.6 yard uh, allowed per reception has him at fourth. Uh, he had a 65.9 passer rating when targeted, which has him at sixth. Tyron Matthew just, you know, moving teams late in his career, you kind of think, oh, you know, he's going to slow down. Not this dude. The Honey Badger is, you know, here to stay. And I love this guy. Yeah. And that's why I also have him at number three. Same reasons. Guy just a baller. He goes out. He played all game, every single game. It's his 10th season in the league. This guy is a veteran at this point. And like you said, he's putting up career numbers. He, you know, a position leading 87.9% coverage grade. Like, that's not what. We would really expect from Tyron Matthews. Sometimes, you know, in prior years, he gets a little, you know, jumpy and can kind of fuck himself over sometimes. But the athletic prowess that he has, when he uses it correctly, like he did in 2022, he is easily one of the best safeties in the league. Yeah, I, I hope he has a very, you know, I hope he's around for a lot longer. Yeah, because uh, he's exciting. Yeah. All right. So let's hear it. Yeah, Derwin James yep. made my number two. 
64 tackles, three and a half stuffs, two forced fumbles, two picks, six passes defended, kind of echoing the same things that you said, um, allowed lowest yards per reception, which was seven. Um, <clears throat> 71.3 man coverage grade, eh, but still 13th. He's in the top 15 there. Had the second highest pass rush grade. He had nine pressures, which, uh, which puts him at sixth. He had four sacks on 31 pass rush attempts. And I, I love um, when we do these lists and I can highlight games or plays that these players made that just like absolutely blew my mind. That body slam on Travis Kelsey, who is 6'5", 250, was just egregious. Absolutely egregious. Yeah, that that play is crazy. That was an amazing play done by an amazing player. I love Darwin James. He is a strong fucking safety. It's the position name. That's fair. All right. My number two, I've got Cameron Curl of the Washington Commanders. This guy like, it. like was very, very good this past year and certainly got overlooked. That team in general had a lot of players that got overlooked. A seventh round pick in 2020 as a rookie replaced Landon Collins, and he just keeps getting better. A uh, top 10 grade, uh, run defender, and in coverage. It's great, uh, career highs in both of those when it comes to the PFF grade. And he's very flexible for the commanders. He can do just about anything. He can play in the box. Um, he can line up on tight ends. Uh, posted a 4.7% missed tackle rate while kind of playing the second linebacker position, which is pretty common for a free safety, but... Cameron Curl did it better than just about anybody else um, other than our number one guy. All right. I like that take. Cameron Curl was awesome. Absolutely fantastic. Um, All right, let's, okay. say, it in, let's so, say it in unison. <laughs> it's very hey. obvious who it is. Yep. Three, two, one. Minka Fitzpatrick. Minka Fitzpatrick <laughs> it's so easy. I, let, me, let me just start. I'm just going to let you cook. I have nothing to say that you're not going to. Six interceptions tied for first, I think, with four other people, which is kind of interesting, but, you know, pretty cool, I think. That's actually the most in his career so far. 11 passes defended ties a career high for him. Two and a half stuffs, that's also the most in his career. Top eight run defense and coverage, ranked second in forced, forced incompletion rate, had a blocked extra point, which was the first in his career. And let me just run through week one Minka Fitzpatrick versus the Bengals. This motherfucker shit on the Bengals. And that just makes me so happy. 14 total tackles, one pick six. That was where, uh, this is also the game where he blocked that extra point. And also that picture where Jamar Chase is flicking him off is the epitome of the AFC North. And Minka Fitzpatrick is by far the best safety in the league. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing else to add. The guy is just, Absolutely goaded. And, like, it just seems like he's in a class of his own when it comes to the free safety position. Yeah, and, I mean, he can do anything. I mean, shit, a couple of years ago when the Steelers' defense was, you know, kind of shit, he was like a, you know, like a fifth linebacker out there making tackles. He he is phenomenal. Um, but, Grayson, I actually have some honorable mentions. Uh, I do as well. Okay, cool. I'm just going to – do you want to go back and forth? or do you Yeah, want to just yeah we'll go back and forth. Okay, my first one was Justin Simmons. Um, yep. Didn't really have any good grades to go off of for me, but he had six picks like Minka did, so I wanted to mention him. Yeah, mine 
Talanoa Hufanga. That came out of absolutely nowhere. But oh, yeah. a total beast. Plays a lot in the box. So kind of gets overlooked a little bit. But dude is just a baller. Like he looks so good out there on the field. Picked up four interceptions this season. Uh, two forced fumbles. He's a hard hitter. Solid coverage. Can run up and stop the run. He had eight stuffs this year. A fantastic season on top of two sacks as well. Talanoa Hufanga was very good, and I can't wait to see what he can do in this 49ers defense next year. Yeah, I mean, shit, when you train with Troy Polamalu, I mean, good things are bound to happen, I guess. Um, Aitlin Petrie, the rookie uh, who plays for the Texans, I believe, didn't really have any good grades, but 107 solo tackles at the safety position and is a rookie. He was first among anybody that wasn't a linebacker. He also had five interceptions, which puts him at second and eight passes defended. Yeah, that's solid. And uh, my last my last guy, shout out Harrison Smith. Veteran, man, 2012. Picked in 2012. He's 34 years old. Put up five interceptions this season. Yeah, that's a dog. I yeah. love Harrison Smith. Um, I got two more for you. All right, you can go ahead. ahead Marcus... Marcus May allowed just 23.1% of his targets to go for a first down or touchdown. That was third best, and he was on a new team. He was kind of 50-50 with this team, but I, I just really kind of just wanted to read that stat. I think that's a cool stat. And then my last guy, Marcus Williams with the Ravens, 19.1 interception per coverage target rate. That was tied for fourth. So that was my last honorable mention. Solid stuff. All right. I think we both made some pretty good lists. That was a fun list. All right. Well, I guess we'll just have to do it again in a year. Yeah. Now, but now, <laughs> hey, we can start getting into like, of course, I, I'm not going to lie. This this was fun to do. Now, I, I will say after a while, it kind of got boring, you know, having to make top 10 lists. But yes. um, a- after this, we finally get to get into like more of like the fun kind of opinionated, I guess, stuff. Yeah. And kind of get away from the stats. So I'm excited. Well, look forward to it, people, because we've got it coming. And, you know, with kind of everything ramping up here for the NFL offseason, we kind of hit the we're, – we're kind of through the slow period. You know, now we're going to – people are going to start some practicing, some offseason programs, things like that are starting up. Of course, the draft is coming up. But a whole lot of stuff's going to be going on for the remainder of this offseason. We're still waiting on, you know, what's happening with Lamar what's happening with Rodgers, and you know everything else that's going on. So plenty of NFL stuff to continue going. Um, it seems like it just never sleeps. Yeah. Um, and, hey, we still threw in some crime for you guys. Yes, of course. <laughs> we had to. It wouldn't be an episode of Second and Short without us trying to get onto the uh, – uh, what's that? I guess it's the crime genre on the podcast. Oh, there's one that everybody true crime. Watches. Yeah, serial. Yeah, serial yeah, is like the really big true crime podcast. Yep. Like it. All right. Let's talk Champions League. All of our soccer listeners love it. We'll start out. Inter versus Benfica. Inter takes the dub 2 0. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised that Benfica didn't play better. They, you know, watching the highlights is they, I don't really think that the scoreline 
kind of reflects how good they played. They they definitely played well enough to at least have one goal, but obviously they didn't. Inter though, Inter looked absolutely fantastic. I uh, their first goal was uh was across from Bastoni, their center back, and it was. I mean, like David Beckham esque, left footed, just whipped it into the box, and Barella gets the header to make it one nil. Inter looked a lot better than they did against Porto, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I think the best thing that we can see right now for Inter is how well this midfield is playing right now. You kind of throw. It, I feel like this plays a little bit more like a five at the back than three at the back, um, with. Denzel Dumfries at, I feel like, more of on the wing uh, as well. And then Frederico DeMarco is more of like a left mid. But I feel like this plays much more like a five at the back, and it works very well. With Dzeko and Martinez up top, they're guys that you can just feed the ball. It works well, especially with Barella and Mkhitaryan's playmaking ability. Brozovic plays a pretty solid, a little bit more of like holding midfield but can play up into the middle. It, it lines up very well, but I don't see them going much farther with this team. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, Inter, they've definitely had more favorable draws than the other champion, the other teams that are left have. But, like, I mean, the two Portuguese teams they have played have been very strong. Um, and like you said, this five-back just works so well for them. I, I think DeMarco and Dumfries, you know, echoing what you said are more of your fullback guys, but in this formation, they're kind of allowed to attack more, and that's really worked out. Dumfries had a really good chance in this game that he 100%, 100% should have put away. Um, and another thing that I wanted to add, which uh, Inter actually did in this game, is you have Lat- uh, Lataro Martinez and Ed and Dzeko up top with each other, but you have Lukaku coming in off the bench and scoring penalties. I mean, you're kind of, you know, loaded at striker there. Um so, but but I agree with you. I, I don't know how far this inter team can go, but I mean they they look good. Yeah, yeah, I I like what they're doing, but it does seem like when you watch them play, they're like they're a little bit of a mess, like on the field. Yeah, in in some ways, <clears throat> I, I can agree with that. Um, and another thing that I wanted to highlight, that VAR that Lukaku scored off of. Person, I, I am a soccer player, but I'm going to go ahead and admit, I don't know the rules on this, but that that penalty to me was ridiculously stupid. It was like, it was a cross that got played into the box and like, it was, it, it like came off one of the uh, Benfica defenders uh, like head and then hit their hand. And I was like so confused as to how that should be a penalty. And, and uh, yeah, Lukaku capitalized off of it, and Benfica find themselves, you know, two nil down going into the second game. I think in, uh, it, was it in Portugal already? Where was this game played? Uh, that game, yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. So Inter already get the tough away win there. So yeah, Benfica are gonna have to try to go to the San Siro now. Uh, Inter. Another thing we could talk about. Uh, Gonzalo Ramos held to pretty much a pretty low average game by Inter 2, which can be expected when your defenders are Bastoni, Acerbi, and Darmian, who have all been amazing this year. And Onana is a freak. So Inter defended one of the most informed strikers in the world very well today, or yesterday. Yeah, fantastic stuff. And then 
Uh, let's talk Manchester City versus Bayern. Manchester City wins 3-0, a, a very surprising result. And me and Luke kind of talked about this game before we recorded. I think a big part of this is how Manchester City are lining up. Yeah, um, a, a kind of an awkward form, formation for them, but it seems to have kind of like revitalized their form this season because it seems like only a couple months ago, Grayson, we were talking about, you know, Manchester City, they had only beaten Leipzig like 1-0, and Leipzig actually looked really good against them. And in the Premier League, they were getting some draws and some losses, but Manchester City have kind of switched up their formation, and they're back to, you know, being one of the best teams, if not the best team in the world right now. Yeah, they're definitely there. And, like, having John Stones playing holding midfield and getting an assist in this one it's very interesting. It's a thing that we really haven't seen John Stones do too much before this season, and he's doing it fantastically. Like, he's got decent speed. He can certainly pass, and, you know, he does stay on Manchester City's half of the field a lot, but he has the ability to move up into the other half, make plays from deep, and obviously got him an assist in this one. Yeah, kind of plays like, and we were talking about it before uh, we were recording, it's kind of like Sergio Busquets where, you know, dare I say, it almost looks like he's playing lazy. Like it's a lot of standing around, but John Stone's positioning, I, I don't know where he learned how to play center mid, but it, it's very good. And his passing is very smart. Um, he's not the type of guy, you know, of course he did get an assist this game, but he's not the type of guy to like slice the entire Bayern defense with like a through ball. He's kind of one of those guys that you can drop it to and he'll keep possession and make a very good pass, a very good, you know, smart pass to someone. He he looks absolutely phenomenal at center defensive mid. Yeah, like three passes into the final third from John Stones is crazy. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. But I wanted to highlight this because um Rodri's goal, which made it 1-0, it, it was a worldie. I'm not I'm not trying to take anything away from Rodri. He's a fantastic midfielder. But the defending from Bayern was absolutely – it was so fucked. It, it was so stupid how they defended Rodri there. It was like Rodri kind of gets the ball, and he's able to just sort of, you know, walk and get close to the uh, edge of the 18 before Musiala makes a half-ass attempt to get the ball from him. And Rodri just beats him with like a simple – like with just a simple move. And then Goretzka – takes his time stepping up to Rodri after Rodri shredded Musiala with poor defending and a simple move. And Gretzka, like I said, he takes his time. Rodri with his left foot just curls one in against Yan Summer, and it was really easy for, for them. And from there, it just kind of seemed like, you know, Manchester City were in control the entire time. Yeah, and I think just to go with, you know, how Bayern didn't even score a goal, another thing that we talked about before we started is that I feel like Sané and Komen need to play further up the field, and I don't think the Serge Gnabry should be playing striker at all. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with you there. And it, you can see that, you know, that's kind of what Byron thought as well. Um, of course, they started Serge Gnabry at striker, but look who's getting subbed out. Serge Gnabry. <laughs> and, but he actually did get to play the full 80 minutes. I, I get it. You know, Serge Gnabry is... One of your more talented players. I like Serge Gnabry, but it's kind of like how we were talking about pre-recording with Chupa Moting out of this team. 
I feel like Mueller has to be the striker there, which you already kind of said there. And I, I'm pretty much just saying what you said pre-recording, but I, I completely agree with you. And Mueller did come on. And in the 10 minutes that he got playing time, he averaged a 6.6, which was better than Serge can average. Yeah, look, I, I just feel like if you let Sané and Komen play up higher up the field, you'll be fine. If they play more on the wing, it's okay because you have Pavard and Davies at fullback that can certainly cover that middle ground if they get caught up in attacking. But it, it just seems like the defending was poor from Upamecano and Delit. And it just, I don't know, it didn't seem like the Bayern Munich that we've been watching prior. Yeah, Umpa Makano was easily one of the key factors uh, that contributed to Bayern's 3-0 defeat here. He was, I, you know, started to feel bad for him. As a former defender myself, it, it's brutal to, you know, just have, um, just to be completely rattled, which is what he looked like. He was holding on to the ball for too long, which is something you absolutely cannot do as a center back because, a team like Manchester City, they have guys like Holland up there that are going to pressure you, they're going to body you, and they're going to, you know, they're going to win possession off of you and already be right there in front of Yan Summer. So, Umpa Makano, I hope he has a bounce back in the second leg, but it was super poor from him. Um, One play that I wanted to highlight, this was insane. Grealish in like the 33rd minute, it was a 50-50 ball, and he just hit stick Yan Summer and knocked the ball out of his hands. And then Yan Summer, while on the ground, say like has a save against a shot from Ike Gundogan. It was an insane play. And it was a corner afterwards. I mean, of course, if, if Gundogan scored, it would have definitely gotten reviewed and hopefully um, taken off. But Jack Grealish is lucky that he didn't come away with the yellow card there, especially, you know, going at a goalie like that when they're in the box. When, when they're in the box, you're supposed to protect keepers. It was a sure yellow card. And uh, like I said, yeah, Jack Grealish just got away with hit-sticking Yan Summer. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, and, and he made a save afterwards, too. He was, like, on the ground, stuck his leg out and blocked the ball. Yeah. It was how incredible. Do you, how do you feel about this one for leg two? Because obviously Man City has a huge lead going into leg two, but, you know, Bayern has the home game at Allianz Arena. We could see it get pulled pretty close. Yeah, um, I, I hate to break it to you, City fans, but your fans are plastic. They're not real. Um, and nobody will be there in Munich for this game. Uh, at least the away fans won't travel. Um, you know, Manchester City are a very good team. So are Bayern. And Munich, especially at the Allianz Arena, is not – it's not a fun place to play. And if any team that lost – and the first leg is set up to kind of, you know, potentially make a comeback out of anybody. It's definitely Bayern Munich, even though they are down by the biggest margin. Um, and I honestly, <laughs> I, I think I could see it happen, Grayson. I, I really do. Yeah, I, I think I could see it happening. But, you know, if Manchester, or, or sorry, if Bayern is set up like they were this week, I don't see them coming back. Yeah, I don't either. It, something is definitely going to have to change. But, you know, like I said, the, you can't avoid, you know, playing in Munich, though. That That is for sure going to be the hardest part. Um, and and I, think, I think Bayern could come back. Um, but I think for my second leg, I'm going to go conservative. I think it'll be 3-1 Bayern, but City will go through on aggregate 4-3. 
Okay, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go two one Bayern. City goes on. Uh, City goes through. Like it. We never did our um Benfica and Inter. Oh yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. I I feel like Inter probably holds on, but let's go. I'm gonna go um nil nil. Yeah, I, I'm going to go kind of something similar. I think since Benfica are having to go to Italy, um, and, you know, like I said, kind of like in Munich, the San Siro is not an easy place to go. Um, and, you know, like I said, you're already down going into Italy. So I think I think Inter take it 1-0 through 3-0 uh, on aggregate against Benfica. All right. Let's talk about Real Madrid versus Chelsea. I'm sure that you have a, an entire manifesto uh... here to present to us, but – Real Madrid takes a win 2-0 over Chelsea. Uh, goals coming from ben, uh, Kareem Benzema in the 21st and Marco Asensio in the 74th. Luke, how do you feel about this? Just, just you know, first impression. It's just the same shit, different day, man. If 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 I'm going to fucking, like, not really pay attention in my economics class to watch you fucking guys, at least score. Give me something to cheer about. <laughs> It's we've gone four consecutive games without a goal. Um, ah, man, it just it doesn't but it doesn't reflect. I will still admit that maybe I'm a delusional Chelsea fan, but like the, the chances are there. They're so there. Um, but <laughs> Real Madrid are just, you know, probably the best team in the Champions League. Um, and they they kind of proved it. Um, Wesley Fafana. Oh, my God. He. <laughs> He had me face just just palm to the face in the middle of economics class because he got absolutely like just manhandled by Vincius uh, Jr. on Kareem Benzema's goal. It was like um, I, I forget who played the through ball, but Fafana and Vinicius Jr. are pretty much competing for this 50-50 ball. And Fafana ends up like with his back turned, like trying to keep his balance against Vinicius Jr. Horrible, horrible defending. Um Good to have Thiago Silva back. He had a good game, but still gave up two goals and didn't score. So I, I, I don't know. I, Chelsea, you're kind of – you think that I have a manifesto, Grayson, for this game, but I really don't. I, it's just the same shit, different week. I have no idea what's wrong with this Chelsea team. <laughs> yeah, my, my biggest thing when I first looked at this match was I hate this lineup for Chelsea. Okay. I, I don't understand it. Really whatsoever. Conte should be in the center of the field. And I don't like having it kind of... I guess it's a two-striker setup when you think about it. Raheem Sterling is not a striker. Yao Felix is barely one. Like, they're both guys that create chances a little bit better than they score goals. There is not a single person in that starting lineup where I'm like, yeah, they're they're like a, a goal scorer first. Yeah, um, I, I like the Chelsea lineup, actually. Uh, I, I do personally disagree with you uh, on the Conte and uh, Fernandez thing. I, I think Enzo actually needs to be in the center. He His passing ability was extremely, I, and, and it even he had good stats coming into Chelsea, but like I underrated his passing extremely. Uh, he is very, very smart and intelligent, and I love him in the center of the field. He's very good at looking around and picking out guys. And I, I, I kind of understand Frank Lampard's um, philosophy there. But, but you know, like you said, Raheem Sterling is not a striker. Zhao Felix is, I mean, he hasn't, he's 
hasn't really scored for Chelsea. <laughs> so, I mean, is he even a striker? He looks good, but he hasn't scored at all. Um, I, I like Chilwell and Reese James out on the wing, kind of like with what Inter has done. Reese James and Chilwell are both very good attacking fullbacks, or at least can be. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I really I don't have much else to say about this game. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of wish we had skipped it. <laughs> I will say, uh, when I looked at Real Madrid's lineup, like it's pretty hard to like look at that and be like, yeah, we can do something. Because even like I I really like the fact that Real Madrid's playing Kamavinga at left back. I think that's super interesting because he wasn't even he's not even really like a defensive midfielder which is typically the kind of guy that you'd see move to fullback and he's essentially just like your textbook center mid but he's playing left back very well yeah he kind of reminds me of uh, Kimmich a lot where he's yeah. kind of your fullback or center mid um I love Kemavinga I absolutely love that player um Alberte looked really good against Chelsea. Um, I mean, really, everybody looks good against Chelsea. Uh, yeah. Benzema, especially. I mean, easily the best striker in the world. And Vinicius Jr. and Benzema is such an underrated duo. They they work so well together, uh, and it's really it, it's envious to watch. Truly. Yeah, they they play very well, and um, I'm kind of interested I don't understand why Rodrigo was starting over Marco Asensio on this one yeah because didn't Asensio come on and score yeah he did he was only in for 19 minutes yeah wow I just I feel like Marco Asensio plays I, I, I can't say that he's like better than Rodrigo but I feel like he adds more to this front three than Rodrigo does I agree. Yeah. But uh, also, how the fuck are Modric and Tony Cruz still this good? <laughs> yeah, they, they literally just have only gotten better, it seems like. It's same uh, with they, Kareem Benzema. Yeah. Benzema's you you he's definitely gotten better. Definitely gotten better than what he was before. Um I, I mean maybe with Cruz and Modric you can kind of see some age showing, but Benzema literally like he wasn't a Ballon d'Or, um, you know, like candidate, probably like even like four or five years ago. Now he's, you know, all over it. Yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah, it's crazy, honestly, like how good Real Madrid has become since Ronaldo left. Yeah, um, and I know a lot of people kind of thought that Ronaldo held them back in a lot of ways, kind of being the whole focal point of a team that's all talented. It wasn't all just Ronaldo on that team. They had talent everywhere, and it kind of seems like, Maybe Ronaldo leaving has done a lot of good for Real Madrid uh, overall. I can believe it because it seems like every team uh, has benefited from him leaving, other than Juventus. Yeah, other than Juventus. But they they also had, you know, that penalization thing that put him in, like, 10th and took him out of the Champions League. and Yeah. Shit. But yeah, this game was really, <clears throat> really, really disappointing. But Real Madrid just keep proving, you know, that they are – they're definitely the favorites to win the Champions League, I think. Maybe you could argue Manchester City because they just, you know, did beat Bayern 3-0. But, you know, let's go back to the leg before this. Real Madrid knocked out Liverpool 5-2. No, that, that wasn't the aggregate. That was the score of the first leg. I actually forgot what the aggregate of that um, was. But uh, Real Madrid just seemed to be able to just run over anybody. Yeah, they, they just look unbeatable. And 
it's crazy. I personally think Real Madrid holds on to it, even though they're coming to London. Um, maybe I'll give Chelsea a goal. I'll say three one on aggregate for Real Madrid. Uh, that game was. I thought that game was in London. No, this one was at the Bernabeu. Oh damn! Yeah, you're right. Um, Chelsea did have the comeback against Dortmund in London, but <laughs> Real Madrid are not Dortmund, so I think Chelsea will take it two to one. No, you know what? No, no, Real Madrid one nil. Chelsea are done. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I think Chelsea would score more than one goal, let alone one goal? Yeah, I'm giving them one. That's it. I'm giving them nothing. And that's, you know, I'm a Chelsea fan. I I understand that we will not score against Real Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one. Napoli uh, and Milan, they face off. Um, Milan takes it 1-0. So in the span of, what, like a week or a week and a half, they beat Napoli twice. Um this one was an interesting one because I feel like it was pretty close. But, like, Milan was up 1-0 for 60 minutes or, or uh, 50 minutes. So, I, I don't know. It, it seemed like Napoli was rather undisciplined. A lot of yellows in this one. Yeah, and that's kind of what you're going to get. I mean, you're putting, you know, a Milan team that I, I, have, I have talked about this so many times on the podcast, but it, it's just really interesting that – this Milan team, you know, 20 years ago, they would probably be competing for the final, you know. And they kind of took a 10-year break, and now they're back. So the hype around the Champions League, especially with Milan kind of not really doing so hot in the Serie A, I think they're like fourth or fifth. Um, Obviously, all the focus for Milan is now on the Champions League, and you can even tell in the fans, the San Siro was absolutely bumping for this game. And you're putting them up against... uh. You know, a Syria, another Syria A team, one that's been flying in the, in the league and is probably going to win it for the first time since, you know, the Maradona era, but also a team that's kind of lingered in the Champions League. You know, Napoli throughout my lifetime have had a lot of good Champions League campaigns. And, you know, it's kind of, it's just the perfect mix for such a good um knockout round between these two teams you know they already don't like each other because they already have to see each other you know they're two italian teams so i understand where all the yellow cards come from here yeah for sure but you know in a lot of them happening within like eight minutes giovanni di lorenzo got a yellow in the 70th as well as andre franc zambo angisa um and then four minutes later angisa follows it up with another yellow he gets sent off Four minutes after that one, Min Jae Kim gets a yellow card. And then in the 90th, uh, or in injury time, 90th plus three, uh, Ramani also got a yellow. And they started off 38th minute, uh, Zielinski got yellow. So that is just too much. I get, you know, whatever. It's a physical rivalry. But you have to play more disciplined or you're just going to keep fucking yourself over. And that's what they did throughout this whole match. They're, I think they're lucky that they only lost one nil. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a good point. Um, Stefano Poli, or Pioli, I guess, is Milan's manager. He also uh, got himself a yellow card there. So yeah. he uh, he did a good job getting involved in that one. Um, it was just a, it was a back and forth game, you know, from the beginning. Napoli started really strong um, and looked, looked like they were going to score within like the first five minutes, but Milan just barely held on. 
Um, and then their goal came from a awesome counterattack where uh, Ben Nasser, you know, absolutely blew it past Moret there in goal. And that kind of, you know, it stayed that way the rest of the game. But, Grayson, we're going to – so so the Georgian guy, number 77 on Napoli. I'm not even going to try his last name. I think but, I've got it now. Well, I actually um, – before we were recording, uh, we can start calling him Caveradonna. Okay. This is his new nickname. So I think I will refer to him as Caveradonna from now on. Sounds good. What's How do you pronounce his name? I think it's Caverchkila. Caverchkila? Or, yeah, it's Caverchkila. Or Veradonna. Yeah, I like that better. <laughs> but, you know, he's absolutely amazing. He had a pretty decent game here. Didn't really, you know, get a goal or contribute to much, but still played well. Um, and the second leg, I feel like, could go either way because this game was even 50 50. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about this one. I think Napoli ties it up 1-1 and they go to penalties. You're not you don't you don't have a winner? Or I can't decide, zero. I'll be honest. It's tough. Um I'm going to go Napoli. Man, AC Milan are going to have to to go to Naples this time. They're going to be real be scared a- when they hear the Champions League ringing throughout the town. Oh, yeah, the entire city will be screaming. Um, I'm going to go, man, I just, I, I'm betting on this Milan team. They're hungry. It's their first time in the knockout stage since, like, I don't know when the fuck when it was. But, like, I love this AC Milan team. I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw <laughs> in Naples. All right. Milan go through 2-1. All right, well, let's talk about the Prem. Uh, not too many great matchups this weekend but a couple of good ones so we'll start off Chelsea of course uh and Brighton face off this one an interesting matchup uh Brighton is significantly ahead of Chelsea in the table right now and they've played two less games oh man more Chelsea talk dude I'm sorry but we have to talk about this one I don't I I love my blues but like it it's it's hard to talk about them because I genuinely do not understand the issue. Yeah, that that's fair. But, you know, Brighton has looked very good this year. But, you know, Chelsea has the opportunity here to turn it around. Uh, Brighton's coming off of a 2-1 loss to Tottenham. And Chelsea is really down in the dumps right now. They're only six points ahead of Crystal Palace. Yeah, and I mean, who knows? I mean, Frank Lampard just... Just took over the team. So maybe, maybe there is some sort of, you know, period there where he needs to kind of get more acquainted. But it's just been so bad. And Brighton, yeah, their loss, their last loss was, um, or they're coming off of a loss against Tottenham. It was only 2-1. Um, before that, though, they have been on an absolute tear. They haven't lost in a really long time. Uh, so... I really, you know, their last game being a loss to Tottenham, I don't think is really that big of a deal to them in this game. They're going to beat Chelsea. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat, uh, unfortunately. I, I will say, like, Brighton, you can't overlook them. And you're right by saying that I think Brighton will win. They're number one in shots on target per match in the Prem with six. Oh, wow. They average 1.9 goals per match. That's third in the Prem. And... 
doesn't help that Chelsea haven't won in their last five, haven't scored in their last four, and uh, they're ranked 13th in goals scored per match at one. Yeah, not, you know, not ideal for, you know, winning soccer games. But Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> this, um, they're, they're going to hold Chelsea to, I, I, I don't think Chelsea are going to score against Brighton. And with what you just said, with the whole shots on target, I think it'll be a 2-0, maybe a 2-1, maybe a 1-0, but Brighton win in every scenario. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm kind of in that same but I'm gonna go two nil for Brighton. Yeah. It's a safe bet there. All right, and then Aston Villa versus Newcastle. This one actually a pretty solid matchup. Newcastle obviously sitting at third in the table right now. They're even on points with Man U, but they've won their last five. They face a Villa team that is certainly fighting for something. They're only six points out of fifth for that Europa League spot. They've won their last four. Um, you know, not really the most impressive teams to beat in that four. Uh, Bournemouth, uh, Chelsea, unfortunately, uh, Leicester, and also win over Nottingham Forest. This is kind of their first really good team they're facing in a, a few weeks now, and I think Newcastle might just outshine them. I don't know, man. Um, you did make the good point of Villa. Um, they haven't really played anybody, but hey, they've still been good and they've still been consistent. Um wins in a tie but three clean sheets among those five games so super impressive there but i you know you're right in saying that newcastle they've won their last five they look um absolutely amazing but villa they've had a lot of good production from all across the team you know you got guys like ollie Watkins in there that's getting goals and assists um emiliano martinez who is starting to catch a lot of flack because they're like the only reason uh, he has all this attention is because of the World Cup. No, he literally is, like, super solid for Aston Villa. He may not be as, you know, good or as superstar-esque as he was um, during the World Cup, but, you know, he's playing with Messi in the World Cup. In the Premier League, he's playing with Aston Villa. He's one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League, match rating-wise, for sure. Um, other guys like Ashley Young from my childhood. It is so good to see him still playing well. And also Tyrone Mings have been very good for Aston Villa. So Aston Villa, you know, Newcastle are going to have to really, really, really play well, I think, if they're going to beat Aston Villa. Because, I mean, Aston Villa are in a pretty damn good form. Yeah, I think the biggest thing comes down to here is the defense. Newcastle's only allowed 21 goals this season. Aston Villa at a plus one goal differential. They've only scored 41. They've given up 40. That's kind of where I see the discrepancies here in this matchup. Like, yes, Villa has been very good. They haven't lost in seven. And I just, I don't know. I feel like Newcastle, when it comes to the defensive play, are going to best Aston Villa that way. Yeah, no, New, uh, Newcastle's defense is not something to be fucked around with. But I think, you know, with how these teams are matching up and with Villa's form, you know, they did have three clean sheets in their last five. I, I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw between these two teams. All right, I'm going to take Newcastle 1-0. like it. All right, our last matchup we'll talk about. Uh, Leeds versus Liverpool. This one is, interestingly enough, a, a, an important matchup. Yeah, it is, especially, you know, in regards to the table, for sure. Yeah, so Liverpool right now, they sit in eighth, but uh, only one point ahead of Brentford in ninth. Liverpool on absolutely atrocious form, in my opinion. A loss to Bournemouth, 
uh, a horrible loss to Man City, and then they draw Chelsea nil nil, uh, an impressive draw against Arsenal two two, but Leeds, uh, man, it's it's weird because they play some of the bottom of the table teams really well, and then they also will lose to Crystal Palace five one. There's really no telling, but. This would be the time for Leeds to get a win. They're only two points out of the relegation zone. If Nottingham Forest, you know, it's not looking like Nottingham Forest is going to pick up any points against Man U, but if Nottingham Forest picks up points, Leeds is going to drop. If Everton picks up points, Leeds is going to drop. And it's just a position they can't be in. They've put a lot into this team, and if they keep dropping and they get relegated, they're going to lose everything. Yeah, um, Leeds have kind of built a, you know, an awkwardly kind of decent lineup. Um, I, I think in regards to this week, Liverpool are just simply too good. Leeds have been, you know, kind of getting battered recently. Um, let me try to find their last 10. Yeah, here we go. So in what world does Crystal Palace beat anybody 5-1? In what world does Crystal Palace score five goals? Or just win. <laughs> Seriously, or just win. Um <laughs> Get the win over Nottingham Forest, but you know they've been hot garbage as well. Um, Arsenal puts up four against you. Ah, uh, I mean it's it's been tough. I mean their last good win was probably the one against Wolverhampton. It was a four to two, but um, Wolves had the uh, red card as well. So you know with the draws that Liverpool have had, that two two draw against Arsenal is super impressive for an eighth place Liverpool team. I think Liverpool are definitely the favorites to win this game. Oh yeah, uh, certainly are. Um, but I, with the form that Liverpool's on, I can't. I'm not going to be all that surprised if they don't play well. Yeah, I, I think it could it could be a closer game than what people think. But I, I think Liverpool are still going to take it. I'm going to say it's going to be one one. One draw. I'm going to go two one Liverpool. All right. Well, that rounds that out for the Premier League. Uh, Luke, you ready to get into do your remember? Let's do it. I'll let you do it first since I uh, right. started the top 10. Got it. All right, Luke. Do you remember the MLB end of season awards in 1999? I already know your answer. It's no. Yeah, because we you weren't you born don't. for most of these. <laughs> yeah, which is fair. I wasn't either. Um, so I'll start with the AL MVP race. Pudge Rodriguez won AL MVP. He did not lead the league in any statistical category. Okay. Who, who was it? Pedro Martinez? Is that who you no, said? Uh, Pudge Rodriguez or Ivan Rodriguez. Oh, okay, um, okay. Second in MVP voting, Pedro Martinez. With a wow. 9.8 war that led the MLB. Led the MLB in wins with 23, only lost four. Led the league in ERA with a 2.07. Led the league in WHIP with a .923. 29 starts, 213 innings pitched. Only gave up nine homers. And led the American League in strikeouts with 313. How the fuck did Pedro Martinez not win MVP? I think the most impressive stat there is only nine homers given up from a starting pitcher. Yeah. That's insane. That is incredible. Yeah, and like, even if you're saying that it shouldn't have been Pedro Martinez, Manny Ramirez arguably had a much better season than Pudge Rodriguez that year, as well as Roberto Alomar, and they were both tied at three when it came to the voting results. 
it, it was a much closer race than the one in the National League, which was arguably worse. And of course, I would. I'm I'm glad Chipper Jones won the MVP in 1999, but it's absolutely insane that he had 29 first place votes out of 32 of them because Pudge Rodriguez won the AL MVP with seven first place votes. Chipper Jones wow. won with 29 and Chipper Jones, just like Pudge didn't lead the MLB or the national league in any of the batting stats. And Jeff Bagwell behind him played every single game that year. He led the MLB in runs led the MLB in walks, which is kind of crazy, and had significantly more RBIs, more stolen bases, uh, just lower batting average. But the guy that I really want to point out here is Larry Walker because Larry Walker was 10th in, in MVP voting. He led the MLB in the entire slash line. He had the highest batting average at 379. He had the highest on-base percentage at 458. He had the highest slugging at 710 and an OPS of 1.168 that also led the MLB. He didn't win it. Mark McGuire was fifth behind Greg Vaughn of the Cincinnati Reds. Mark McGuire had 65 home runs and 147 RBIs, both of those leading the National League, the home runs leading the MLB. That's wow. fucking crazy. That's insane. And you you said uh, who was the second guy behind Chipper Jones? Um, uh, Larry Walker of the Rockies. And he played every single game. Uh, no, he did not. Uh, sorry, Jeff Bagwell was uh, who I was talking about. He played every single game. I feel like that's that that has to be so rare for baseball players to do. Yeah, only like a, a solid handful of guys a year will play every single game. I think Matt Olson did it last year. Dang, that's impressive. Yeah. Uh, but another interesting one, uh, the gold glove, because Rafael Palmero won the gold glove at first base and only played 28 games at first base in that season. <laughs> okay. <laughs> interesting. So I don't know what the voters were doing all year, but it was certainly interesting. That sounds like not watching baseball. Yeah, that, that certainly appears to be the problem. I, I don't know what was happening that year. It, it's crazy. Yeah, okay, that, that was a good one. I, I enjoyed that. That was entertaining. Um, All right, Luke, what you got? Grayson, do you remember? Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this one off with a question. I'm going to see if you can guess, guess who okay. this is. So. T.J. Watt was Defensive Player of the Year in, what, 21? Yeah, I believe so. Do you know who the last Steeler to be a Defensive Player of the Year was? Hmm. Let's see. Did Palomalu win one? You're actually correct. It was Palomalu. Okay. Do you know when? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to say sometime in the mid-2000s. Actually, it was 2010. Damn, I was close. So mine, do you remember, is do you remember Troy Polamalu's Defensive Player of the Year season in 2010? I don't, Not. obviously. <laughs> yeah, let me, just, let me just tell you about this guy. So as far as the team goes, they were AFC champions. Um, 
obviously, we're, we're not going to talk about what happened in the Super Bowl. Um, no, we don't defense need to. was first in points allowed. Uh, and now I'm going to get into Troy's stats. So 42 solo tackles. Th- kind of iffy there. That's that's not really a lot of tackles, but this is when shit gets insane. 11 pass deflections, 7 interceptions, 1 sack, 1 touchdown. He only played 14 games. He beat Clay Matthews out for Defensive Player of the Year, which I thought was interesting to throw in there. And then, kind of like how I did with Minka, this is the reason I did this, is because we were, you know, all this safety talk had me thinking about the dude with the hair. I love Troy Polamalu. So, and it's kind of cool the parallel because I highlighted Minka's week one last season against the Bengals. Well, now I'm going to highlight Troy's week 14 in 2010 versus the Bengals. Two deflected passes. He had a 45-yard pick six off of Carson Palmer uh, from a pass that was intended for uh, Terrell Owens. Kind of interesting there. On that play, uh, Troy Polamalu, he like dives into the end zone. He's got the arm stretched out. He hits the pylon. It's an awesome interception. But on that play, he uh, he actually hurt his ankle. He remained in the game and got another interception. Wow. Yep. So that was uh, that was TP in 2010. He was amazing. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. And then Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl made him not look like Defensive Player of the Year. <laughs> Certainly did not. There you go. Wow, that was a great one. Yeah, I I totally forgot that he won it in 2010. Seven picks in 14 games, too. I think that's the most impressive one to me. Yeah, that is very impressive. Yeah. Wow. All right, Luke. I think that's going to do it for us. This was a fun episode. I enjoyed yeah. this. It went really long, and it didn't even feel long. No, that we, we skated through that one. Fantastic stuff going on. Other than the mm-hmm. fact that I just got the news, Orlando Arcia is on the IL uh, with the – micro fracture in his wrist uh, so it looks like Von Grissom's coming back up but that's fine you know what I don't care it's not gonna hurt my feelings oh man that that does suck though I've been yeah, really does. enjoying Orlando Arcia but hey at least Grissom gets to come back I'm, I'm be interested yeah. to see how he can do this year because he was good last year for a little while yeah yeah he and he's looked good in AAA so I'm not that mad but I think this is a good time for us to sign off Luke anything you've got for the people um, yeah, actually, I was watching the Masters a lot with my family uh, in Easter, yeah, like during our Easter um, kind of weekend there. Yeah. And uh, Phil Mickelson, shout out Phil Mickelson. That was, um, of course, I, I personally don't want to see any live players win. You know, I'm, they just they I mean, they're just selling out. Basically, it's a lot of damn money that I, I personally wouldn't turn down, but they're sellouts. So I can I can be mad there, but Phil Mickelson he he showed out and he's you know he's one of those golfers from my childhood and it was it was cool to see him finish second among all those young guys. Yeah, at fifty two years old, it's crazy. Yep, and then sad that Tiger had to pull out, but you know, yeah, I think what was it? He like reaggravated like his plantar fasciitis or something like that. Yeah, I, I think that's so. the the bullshit excuse he came up with for not wanting to <laughs> play like twenty seven holes in a day, and he just hit two double bogeys yeah i need to put him in some brooks or something i guess yeah you need some insoles <laughs> something yeah that's really all i got is uh, i just wanted to shout out phil mickelson it was cool to see him play well all righty well we will see you all next week peace peace